0: G'day and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away or even plan a hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel the hunters campfire where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos along with the full video production of every podcast don't forget to like and subscribe and good hunting
1: good evening gents we are live wow wow very good well the um hunters campfire has gone live we'll hit people's phones so we'll give it 30 seconds
0: yeah we'll roll up
1: some questions and get going
0: I'm just refreshing the page so I can see it. Oh,
1: hey, Matt, how was the day? You've been off deer honey. What's happening? Might as well give myself on Facebook <laughs> while we're waiting.
0: Uh, yeah, so um, Friday Arvo hunts have turned into Friday morning hunts because it's just too goddamn hot. Mm. Um, so I go up. I leave here about 10 to 3, um, get up there for 4.30, Unfortunately, that is now too late. I have to get up there at four because it, it's full light. I want to get there before dawn and get on the block. And I usually hunt to about ten. And if I don't see anything by ten, I don't usually see anything till for the rest of the day. So I come home. So it's it's a quick squirt. And um, today didn't see any deer, but I think I um I may have inadvertently bumped a big pig. Um, there the trail cams have. Images of little pigs and the thing about little pigs, they need big pigs to make them. So they're up there somewhere and I think I might have bumped one of them today. So Mm. good day. Nice. But didn't get to um, drop the hammer or anything. And was back by one o'clock. Very, very, you know, very uh, sociable hours.
1: Very good. All right. So let's kick off. Firstly, um... We just, we were doing the maths on this as we were waiting for this to kick off. We're 15 months into the Hunter's Care so It would have been nice for us to stop three months ago and go, hey, we're one year old. But let's do it now. Hey, we're one year old. Look at that. Big effort. 105 videos have gone up, various videos and podcasts and bits and pieces, and we've had a heap of interaction from people, so it's been really good. The idea of running this session tonight was, oh well, A, we just thought it was a fun idea to do this live, um, we've, we've had a, a number of podcasts out now and we feel like we've kind of got the hang of it a little bit. So um, we'd like to do it live and hopefully we don't muck it up too much. Uh, but also it gives everyone the opportunity to come through and ask some questions and, and um, you know, questions from the podcasts that have passed, some of the hunts and trips that we've done. We've met a number of you on the ground in the forest. People have come up and found us. We've had people join us on trips. It's been great. So it's an opportunity for people to say hi and, and you know, these are some questions I've got. Um, It's been fantastic to watch so many of our listeners and viewers um, going out to their first state forest hunt, taking their first animal, having Mm. a great time, messaging us live from wherever it is that they're hunting, looking for extra advice, sending photos and all that good stuff. It's been awesome to watch. And I think I said to Mark way back when we started, if we could help one or two people just get out there and go hunting and experience what we do and and, you know, and be successful, it would be all worthwhile what we're doing. So thanks to you guys for doing it and listening and taking the advice and getting out there. Um, it's been awesome to watch. So anyway, that is my intro. Fellas, have you got anything else you want to add before we kick off some questions?
0: No, I, I just to say that I had a personal goal. If we get 20 people who don't hunt hunting, uh, mm-hmm. if we can do that, then they'll get some people hunting. They'll influence someone in their family. Do I get their family involved, their kids, do I get friends involved? That's all we need to do. And then all of a sudden, we've got more and more people hunting. We've got more and more people influencing around hunting and, we're you know, in regards to state forests. So it's all about numbers. This is a pure number game. And that's what my um, aim is to get us up there and make hunting a viable option for everyone here in Queensland.
2: Well, Mark, while you while you've said that, a comment's just come in um, saying from Nasir saying, you guys have already helped many people like me, so you, you, it's working. We're doing it. Yeah,
0: um, thanks for that. I can't see it because if I put my glasses on to see you, I can't see
2: them. So, so thank you. <clears throat> but yeah, that's coming live. That's on, uh, no, on YouTube you. at the moment. They're watching oh, okay. the live uh, stream at the moment. So that's awesome. Thanks, Nasir. That's really awesome to hear. I'm glad that you're getting some value out of what we're doing. And you heard.
0: should probably explain that to John o. Yeah. about we're kind of we're we're all over the world here at the moment. Yeah, so
2: we're um, we're live streaming to Facebook, so and we're live streaming to the YouTube channel as well. So you can watch us on either platform. Um, you can also um, put comments in either on Facebook on the live message or on YouTube, uh, whichever platform you choose. This evening, uh, we'll see those comments and questions, uh, and we'll answer them to the best of our ability. So please keep them coming. Um, we we're here to share our knowledge, um, and if you've got some knowledge to impart on us, we're open
1: as well. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so we're going to, the format for this tonight, we're going to start off with questions that have been thrown at us already, which is great, good to see some coming in. Um, They're general questions about the year, um, things that have been done, um, things that we've covered, and then if we've got some time afterwards, we'll do some more uh, NT discussion because we've obviously just come back from that, we've put a lot of content up about that, and there's a lot of questions that have come through too, so... <clears throat> excuse my flu first question alright Okay. off the back of uh, a podcast that we did with Gemma Dunn uh, where we covered a lot of information about travelling, I think it was our pre NT trip and we, I think we were, we were asking Gemma about travelling with mm. firearms and ammunition that's and all correct that sort of stuff. Yeah. how do we find the experience of travelling with firearms uh, and who do we end up flying with Mark?
0: Okay, right. sure uh, so we went with Virgin. Though John, you did you fly Jetstar as well? Or just?
2: No, I, I flew Virgin with you guys to Darwin and I flew back yeah. with Qantas. Off Qantas, okay. Jetstar so cancelled my flight and wanted me to fly <laughs> by Melbourne. So, no.
0: Okay, so, no, so that answers that question. So we flew with Virgin. Um, so the, uh, and look, the firearms themselves um, as a. Package were um, a, an extra case, so we uh, b- had to book them all as, an, as extra luggage. Uh, everything had to be uh, secure in a, a, a firearm travel case, you know, Pelican, those type of things. So um, ammunition had to be separate. Um, you guys didn't take ammo. You, we got ammo in the Northern Territory. We had it
2: shipped up, but we had bolts in a locked case. I,
0: I took ammo, so, <laughs> so we took. Uh, some rifles with bolts removed and I actually took ammo as well and the ammo went in, went in a different bag again so the process itself was pretty simple with um, Virgin before we got to the airport I'll, I'll, I'll define that or clarify that online all that stuff was pretty simple yes we're going to take firearms and booked it in and things like that and uh, Ian I think even called them and said look we're coming here's our numbers ticket numbers and stuff like that when we got to the airport on the Sunday, the probably the first mistake we made was we thought that Sunday morning flying out of Brisbane would be you know pretty casual. It was crazy. There was literally hundreds and hundreds of people there lined up, and Virgin, you have to uh, go through that um, you know electronic ticketing type of activity before you get to the to the line. So we started doing that, and you got halfway through, and there's a question that says you know do you, have you got, you know, do you have any of these things? One of them is firearms. So we went, bing, yes, we got firearms. Yeah. And then it just says, stop, you have to talk to a person. So we went, okay. So we just flagged down the first person we saw who ended up being a guy called, I think mean, his name was Waza. which Waza, was was mate of mine. Which was even amazing, more <laughs> amazing that Jono knew him. <laughs> and Jono wasn't even there at the time when we, he and I we got there a bit early. So we got pushed to the, one of those, um, the NQs where, you know, people for whatever different reasons get to the jump the whole line. So we jumped the whole line and it was a big line and people were looking at us because there was like guys with surfboards looking at us. <laughs> with the, the guys know, with the musical instruments. <laughs> with guns. Like, with like guns or guitars type of things <laughs> like that. So we got through um, and we went through the process. There was a bit of, you know, it was just explaining and the weight checking and all that stuff. However, then what happened was, to our knowledge, I'm uh, at the time, Virgin made an error where they're supposed to call someone up from baggage and that person then escorts you down to the uh, oversized baggage area to check the, the, the firearms in on the plane. We just walked down. They just said, go to oversized baggage. So we walked down to oversized baggage. And when we got down there, oversized baggage, said, what are you walking around the airport with guns for? I said, because you guys told us to do this. Mm -hmm. So they then went up and started yelling at the people at the counter. And that was quite funny. And we came back. And then they kind of pushed us to the front of the line of the oversized baggage. So it was gone. They're on the plane at darwin it was a smaller area it was basically a secure cage we went to the secure cage we said that's our gear they went there it is and um yep we just picked them up so it was pretty easy that way um in fact it, we kind of said that it was seemed to be a really good way of jumping lines to actually get up to the front of the queue to actually have it uh coming back from darwin was even even uh kind of crazier when we got to darwin we went to the. We went to the. Again, it was much quieter. Went to the um, to the check-in. The guy doing the check-in didn't really know. One of the the more uh, senior people took over, checked us in. That person then escorted us down to the cage, put him in the cage, and as we were walking back, Ian said, "Hey, can you get us through to the." Through the security check in too, and she went, oh, okay, sure. So we went to the special line for the security check, and then we jumped that line too, and got through. And we were, you know, we got up there pretty quickly. So all in all, flying with the um with the rifles was, was a was a pretty easy task. Mm. Um, you had to do a few, yeah, uh, you, you know, a bit had to be prepared and you had to pack certain, uh, in a certain way. But other than that, there was no real issues. And what they do is once the, the they're in the case and they've got the yellow tape on them, they're kind of like another object. They just mm. go. Yeah. And so there was no real problem. And walking, you know, we, we didn't have any problems at all. So it, was a, it wasn't a, a, a difficult issue at all. I'm assuming that traveling overseas would be a wholly different issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a different um,
0: experience altogether. Yeah, hold, again, I, I don't have an experience that. I've hunted overseas a number of times, but I've never taken firearms. I've just used firearms in country. But, um, yeah, traveling interstate, and in fact, strange enough, I'm probably going to be hunting with Gemma early next year, and I'll be flying down to Sydney, so I'll be doing it again. So not a real problem. Just get yourself a good habit. gun box. Get yeah. yourself a good gun box. Make Full sure it's for the weight. That's um, it. Because it's a bag itself, and it has the weight, the standard weight limits. Um, you know, you're not supposed to put things like in like ammo and stuff in there. Well, that was questionable if you can or not. But I put like a fishing rod in there, and a few other bits and uh, you know bits and pieces. So I'd actually use it as a bag. It still only went like 14 kilos, so it was <clears> way under. Um, you obviously can't put a lot in there because it's a single gun box. But I was able to put a number of things in there again, which made it a bit. Made it, made it a bit easier to uh, travel with it.
2: Well, I mean, with Ian, so so Ian had a, a, a double rifle case. We had my rifle and his rifle in there, and obviously that increased the weight, but it was not well, it was not an issue at all. As long as yeah. you're careful about your weights, I think that's the important one, is just make sure you're not going to be over. If you think you are, book the extra bag because you can check in a firearm as sports equipment, but it counts towards your 20, 23 kilos, whatever they give you. So yeah, yeah. if you've got another big heavy bag just rather book an extra bag. And for the yeah, thing, it's a doing that up
1: front than it is doing it at absolutely. the Absolutely. That's and it. you got man, another... Uh,
0: you're right. Sorry, man. I, I think that's the, the real lesson is actually just kind of accept that it's kind of cost you 50 bucks extra and mm. book it and you've actually then got more room to play with and more yeah. things than trying to, trying yeah. to, you know, make weight. You're actually now, all of a sudden, you're whatever, 46 mm. kilos. Yeah. And the other thing is to buy... I found... The benefit of taking a, a you know a solid gum box is that then I used it all through the, the week. We're in the NT. I used it as a, mm. a around camp when we had a, when we were travelling all that distance and I was sitting in the back of the truck. They were secure. Yeah. It was actually just a really nice thing to have, rather than you know um, just, yeah. it was just, actually... just a Just just a you know a bag that it would fit in normally. It was actually really good to have a proper gum box with me.
1: So, hey, I'm going to move questions because there's quite a few and we'll burn a lot of oh, time. Um, Frank, I've got, sure. I've got your questions. I can see them posted up. I'll get to you in a sec. But there is a follow-up to this one. I'm going to throw it to Jono. Um, I feel like I'm playing host here for a second. Um, get <laughs> on you. I'm going to throw yeah, this question to Jono. Um, on the way back, and the reason I'm throwing this to you is because you had to deal with it, mm. trophy transport. It was a real problem. When animals started hitting the ground and we're looking at the size and the weight... And it was skulls and uh and and bone and horns and all of that sort of stuff do you want to run through um how we managed uh yeah what, so what, it did was... we do the, what did we do with the trophies in the nt on the ground when we were hunting them uh what do we do to prep them and how did mm. we get them home
2: yeah very good question um obviously once i mean i got my one down um and then we've we we found the second one um and we brought those horns back as well and then obviously we didn't have any others I know you picked up a set um of of casties but from from a dead animal but on that last evening when you got one Mark got one um we had a bit of a dilemma because we had you know a lot of weight and a lot of horn there um what we did is we um we actually chopped off as much bone as we could um so we're really just taking the skull cap not taking a whole big skull because there's just far too much weight um, and then really giving those a good clean, getting rid of all the gunk, um, you know, getting rid of all the, all we had really was the brain cavity and sort of the top of the, the sinus, I guess, the nasal cavity. Cleaning out all of that meat, all of that gunk, all of the, the anything that's in there, um, just to try and reduce, you know, some of the um, the, the juices and the smell that could potentially coming out of those, because some of them were starting to get a bit fruity. Um, we, um, we then wrapped them in, we, we, we cut off as much bone as we could. Um, obviously trying to maintain still some aesthetics of the trophy that we wanted to keep. So I think you've got one that you kept where, you know, you put that bit of leather in the middle and all that looks absolutely great. I've done exactly the same. I think we all did the same. Um, but really get, get as much bone as you can. If you want to bring a whole skull back, you're looking at, you know, 30, 40 kilos and you just can't do that. Um, we then took those, um, skulls, we split them down the middle. So we had two individual pieces. Um, we wrapped them up in plastic, tons of gaffer tape duct tape whatever you want to call it around there just really get it sealed in um, so that you're not getting that smell and those juices coming through and we did a bit of a a juggling act of trying to work out which bag can we put them in how can we juggle them with weight Um, because obviously we've got the the weight limitations for the flight Um, and we ended up having a expedition bag and mark would stand there and hold it and he would stand on the scale on a standard kitchen scale, get the weight. And we would then add another one and see are we in weight or are we out of weight and, and just juggle it. And we actually ended up getting them all in a single expedition bag, all wrapped up, nicely taped up, nice and you know, um, secure, I guess. Um, and I just checked that in as check baggage. Um, no questions asked, came through, popped out on the uh, the carousel here in Brisbane and away we went. So it was actually pretty painless in my view. Um, I think it'd be a bit different had we shot that big, big bull that we saw that, that Thursday. I think we would have had a bit of a challenge, but they were good representative animals, um, and you know, so glad to have taken one like that. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. taking a bath, was pretty but, seamless, yeah. though. Uh, pretty I seamless. What, yeah, what, absolutely.
1: I wonder what it would have been like if uh, if you declared that that's what was in the bag when you checked it in. <laughs> Whether there would have been an eyebrow raised or I, I don't know it what it might have been. Are, but, um, <laughs> it was pretty funny, and then we met up mm-hmm. with you at the airport at the other end and did a bone. i just swap. did it. Yeah, exactly. A, it was a, actually and
0: ri- bone and rifles
1: in a dodgy um,
2: car, airport car park um, transaction that no, Look, it, it, it might have seemed on the outside to be dodgy, but it was actually pretty, you know, pretty legitimate um, yeah. and very seamless actually. Um, yeah, and I good. certainly do the same thing again. Uh, expedition bag, awesome investment, not just for carrying trophies, but the dust there in the NT is just yeah. something else. You've yeah. got to have an, a good expedition bag that seals up. Absolutely. They're a godsend. I think next time I'm actually going to pack an extra one all folded up just so that, you know, if we need to bring more trophies back or something, we got them.
0: I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to put the smaller one in the bigger one Mm. and carry the big one. And if we need it, then we've got a spare one. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, the one that I've got actually packs down pretty small. So you can have it flat packed. You don't actually have have to expand it out. Um, and you can get 80 litre, you know, 120 litres, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, it's it just was a big, having it a, a very minutes. big
1: part of the planning, yeah. bags, who's got what, how many bags mm. we've got, how many we've paid yeah. for, how are we going to get everything home? <laughs> it was a, it was a bit of a challenge. All right, we'll move a
2: on. A, well, I, just the last one on that was in the, uh, I, I think something, if you're going to take, if you're going to go to the NTN Hunt Buffalo or wherever you're going to go, take a luggage scale. I think that was oh, yeah. a yeah. valuable piece of equipment that we didn't have. And luckily, we managed to get one in the hotel. Um, But if you've got one of those little compact luggage scales, where you can weigh your bags, and you can, you know, you can juggle stuff around, because we were standing in in Brian Boyle's shed. um, And, you know, Mark was standing on a kitchen scale, it wasn't the most accurate. And look, we went far off. um, But it would certainly make life a lot easier to take a little compact luggage scale with you and weigh your bags. I think that's a really important piece of kit because you don't you want to get to the airport you don't want to have any issues with weight and obviously you could get someone to check in who's you know nice and helpful and friendly and is is not um you know is not going to challenge you on that you could get someone who is is a complete asshole and goes completely the opposite and you're one kilo over and you know you can't take your buffalo horns out because you want to take them home with you so well, um, you to take... pay some money. It's... yeah but it's, it's going to cost you a fortune rather take a you know 20 buck luggage scale that you can buy from kmart or wherever and weigh those bags before you get to the airport i think that's really important mm.
1: yeah very good okay, okay. Harry, i am turning. turning i'm turning to youtube <laughs> because we've got questions over here on youtube uh oh, first okay. one first one's from frank, frank. <laughs> hey frank good to have you back mate um And Frank joined us for one of our hunts down in um, Nundle this year, so it's good to have you there and thanks for hanging in with us, mate. Um, First question was, uh, where did you go for your first state forest hunt and were you successful in getting anything, Mark?
0: I'm thinking uh, it was Nundle, Nundle, because I'd hunted the raw in the Brisbane Valley and then I went from the Brisbane Valley and did uh, the, the end of the fallow rut. Yeah. Nando, um, pigs. Got pigs? Three of them.
1: That's eight hundred in your book.
0: Hmm? 800 metres from camp. Uh, wow. uh Took a speculator on a deer, missed it, and... Um, literally walked up on a buck without realising it and went, oh, there's a buck right there. And mm. as soon as that wonderful tikka metallic bolt action went click, click, it, boing, mm. that buck was gone. So, yeah, so I've never taken pigs and deer at the same time at Nundle. It's either been huh. one or the other. And it, again, okay. and it happened this time again. It's either pigs or deer, pigs or deer. Mm. So, yeah, the first... Animals at of state forest. So that year, I hunted Nundle, and then I hunted Pillager at Christmas, New Year, and I got goats. I got that a nice Billy um, just before the New Year, and then the, early the next year, I hunted Severn. So that that yeah would have been Nundle would be the first one. Nice. And a
1: gen, and a follow up question, and just a quick follow up question. Over the years that you've been state so forest hunting, um success percentage in,
0: uh, the, in the I've, I've never not been successful in a state forest pretty
1: damn good, it's pretty good. Not. Go. and have you seen have you seen um a change in numbers or is it pretty much you started you were seeing animals to the start you're still seeing animals now you're finding more and more
0: so um with, I, I've hunted Severn a lot. I haven't hunted it as much for the last couple of years, but I hunted Severn pretty hard for 10 years. And at the beginning, it was like, get out of them away, goats. <laughs> and then it went quiet. And, you know, people said, oh, well, it's probably getting shut down, lots of shooting. But I actually reckon in real terms, it probably had more to do with the climate and the drought and drying up and the way that, uh Severn changed so dramatically. So I it did see a dip in numbers, but I'm wondering if what we're what's what we've just experienced over the last couple of years is going to see those numbers come up again. Mm-hmm. Hold that So forward. I don't know I don't know if I don't know if it was um people or climate. I'm kind of leaning more towards it was a climate.
1: I want to come back to that because 'cause we've got a question that covers that off as well. John sure. no, your first your first state forest hunt?
2: My first state forest was Nundle. The first time, um, I mean, are you down there, Ian? Actually, yeah, right. Um, yeah, so well, Nundal was yeah, my yeah. first first ever state forest hunt. It was actually um, the first um, time I had hunted in Australia since I had moved from the UK. Um, so I had done. Um, I've hunted here. I've hunted some goats before, but I was on private land, never um, public land. So this, was, um, but that was I wasn't living here then. So this was my first hunt, um, and I went down to Nundal, Didn't know what to expect. Um, completely um yeah completely newbie to, to safe forest hunting. Um got a lot of advice from yourself and the other guys who went down with the um with the ADA trip on that one. Um I wasn't successful, didn't take an animal, saw animals. Um I was with a mate who was completely new to hunting um and had an opportunity on them but he was far too slow. Um so it wasn't that there was a lack of opportunity there was. There was animals there. It was just it was completely new experience and I was trying to help him watch him I'd never hunted with him before, so you know, wasn't sure about his gun skills, etc. So I was obviously very cautious. And um, yeah, but uh, had an awesome trip. Went back the following year, of course. Um, but no,
1: Nundle, love that place down there. <laughs> I've actually Nundal has, N- has a way of dragging you back. It does. I had
2: a I had a big um, a big gap between. I've been there three times, the second and third trip, um, and actually I've been to Nundal three times, as I said, and I've never been successful there.
1: All right. My first day forest hunt was Severn. I um, covered this way back in one of our first podcasts. I'd spoken to Mark without knowing who Mark was at the time, and he pointed me in the direction of Severn. And I remember getting out, had the Severn sign on the dirt road, being so happy uh, that I'd finally found somewhere that was public land that I could hunt, coming from New Zealand, moving to Queensland. Uh, I got out of that sign and did a big air jump in the air and, you know, got myself <laughs> with a big selfie. I was so ecstatic. Um, and yeah, I, we took goats and pigs at Severn on that first trip. And uh, as much as that place is booked out and various parks that we talk about are really booked out, they still produce. So, anyway, <coughs> next question. And um, next one from, was from Frank as well. And I'll just cover this one off back around um, uh, state public land. If you could turn back time to where you first started public land hunting, what would you do differently? Mark.
0: Nothing. Um, I, I know it's not that's not uh, uh, that informative, but philosophically, it's it's all it's always a learning curve. I I, I remember my first date hunt at Nundal. I remember exactly what happened. I remember what I was learning. I was walking along, and uh, now it's it's a big learning curve. Mm. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to change it because I might not learn what I learnt. So. Mm.
2: Yeah, look for myself, obviously, I said I've been to Nundal three times, and I've not taken anything, I'll still continue to go back. Um, What would I change? Well, I I would, I would be a lot more patient, I wouldn't, um, you know, when I first went to Nundal, it was all about getting all over the park, and it's a huge park, get let's go look at this area, let's look at that area, look here, instead of looking for sign, finding the animals, and then working that area. Um, we were just trying to cover as much ground as we could and not actually, you know, focusing on the, on, on, on the, on the sign itself. That's, that's what I've taken away from hunting, especially state forest. When you find sign, you find animals. Um, you've got to find that sign first, not just cover as much ground as you can. Yeah. Don't leave game Mm to
1: find game is a good motto. Correct. That's right. Uh, Yeah. Correct. I've got a completely useless answer to Frank. And that is, I wish I'd found it earlier. I could go back in time. I'd like to find state forest hunting earlier because... Man, there's, there's just so much land to cover there, and um, I want more time in the bush. So hopeless answer for you. It's not giving you any tips, but that's, that's mm. how it goes. Um, Big Willie, back from New Zealand after taking a tar. He won, oh, a, wow. b- he won a trip from the Hunter's Club that we oh, okay. often see on yeah. social. Flew to oh, – I'm going to get most of this wrong. Flew to the South Island. From what I see, at that point, his trip kicked in, jumped on a helicopter, flew up into the Alps, shot a 13-inch full tar wow, and uh, and another one for meat. So good on you, mate. Congratulations. Can't wait to get mm-hmm. you on and talk a bit more about that. But yes. Big Woody's question. It... Yeah,
2: Sorry, Johnny. No, go for it. Yep.
1: What time of the day is the best time to hunt goats? Do they have habits or is it a fairly random uh, thing that they get up to? Uh, I want to go first on that and then I'll let Mark's um, – long years of wisdom, <laughs> give you a real answer. <clears throat> I like hunting goats because of the gentleman's, gentleman's game. They don't really get up early and they don't go to bed. Like They, they, they don't get up early. They're up all day. Um, they sleep at the same hours that we do typically. They make stupid amounts of noise and you can call them in. If you find kids on the ground, you can bleat at them and they'll come over and their mum will come over and the yearling will come over. You shoot it and all your friends come over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think... If you can understand their, their watering patterns, whether they're feeding to or away from water, usually that happens early in the morning, earlier in the morning, but after the sun's up, and then later again in the afternoon, you are going to find goats. It's such a good game to chase. Love it. Oh, yeah. I love <laughs> goats.
0: Yeah, look, after a few years at Severn, we called them banker's hours. We used to say, you know, People go, oh, what time you go? Well, we don't really need to leave till about 8.30. You know, we'll be right. And that was it. They seemed, I we seemed to shoot gates between nine and three. And as I said, we used to just call it bankers hours, you know, like that's what banks used to be, but once upon a time it was like that. So there was no need for early starts. There wasn't need to chase them through into the evening. Basically, you would see gates between nine and three. So as long as you're out, Early enough, so you you know you weren't leaving, but you're out there, you're on the ground, and you and you were moving around, and you were settled. You'd see them sometime around eight, from eight thirty onwards. And I mean, because they'd be moving, you might just see them beforehand, either bedded up or holding up. But around that time, you'd actually see them moving. So again, they were so much easier to see, because there was movement. You'd see the white moving through the um, moving through the trees. There's a couple of rules that we came up with goats. One of them was um, a rule I picked up from Adrian. He used to call it the two smokes rule. He said if you got on the goats and you shot and you shot a couple, just sit down uh, for the period it would take, you know, to have two smokes. If you had a, if you smoked, you know, you say you, you don't pursue them. You'd sit down, you'd take care of the the kill, and then you'd move up, follow them up, and by that time they'd probably resettled again and then you'd be on them. And you could pursue a mob like that for a period of time. It was a, the two smokes rule. The other one is shoot the white ones last.
2: Tell you where the other ones are.
0: Don't shoot the ones that tell you where all the other ones are. So once you see a white goat, and that's why when I'd ever take people goat hunting the first time, they'd usually shoot white goats. And we say, okay, you've got it, one. Next time, don't shoot that one, because hmm. that one is telling you where all the odds are. Yeah. The third rule is: billies don't tend to have any concern about the welfare of any other goats. So if there's a <laughs> Billy with them, with a mob and the shooting starts, that Billy will disappear. It won't. Yeah, you don't care. The, the goats seem to be matriarchal, though. You know they'll yeah. hurt around the, the major. The, you know the, mm-hmm. the nanny seems to run the mob. So if you are coming across a mob of goats and you want to take them, if you take the big nanny out first, they all. That's it. They they fall apart, they don't you know, they'll mill around, they won't the billies will go, they'll disappear, they'll zip off. And in fact, I've observed often observed billies not actually with the mob, they're just kind of off. Mm. They're in the tree line and they're a little bit off. So if you if you see a mob of goats and it's that time of the cycle when the the billy is around them the, the, the mob, just see if you can see him in the trees. Look look for horns, look for something that's laying down look for a horizontal shape in the scrub look around because there's probably a billy just hanging off somewhere like that so i've mm-hmm. seen lots of habit seen them in dif- all sorts of different conditions um in different areas you know in Piliga. um one year we were in Piliga and they were they were only on sand country you only saw them in on, in the sand uh, other times we haven't seen them in the sand at all uh rocks is always oh. a good Always a good rocks are always a good place to check out. So, you know, rock structures, stone structures. If you see rocks, if you see a rock escarpment, go check it out. Mm. The other thing too, if you're hunting a state forest and it's one of the ones that holds goats, and there's been any clear felling, as close as you can get to that clear felling, you know, without moving into an exclusion zone, they love those trees that are on the ground because they can it's then pick them. Yeah, yeah. They pick them so I remember the first goat I shot was in an area that had just been clear felled, it's, it's actually marked down in Pilliga when they when they knocked it over because they actually marked the year when they knocked things over it was 2009 and um, I took one in and at the time it was just clear felled and they, they were literally just amongst the big trees feeding on the pick that was obviously unavailable to them until the trees got dropped so Lots of stuff about goats. Um, you'll see them, you know, usually they'll have a, a nanny will have, uh, if they're in with the kids, there'll be two young'uns and generally a, one juvenile, like a an in-between range. So there's like two generations. If they're like that, um, everything will clump around that nanny. So that mm. nanny is run, running everything. If you stick with that nanny, that
2: you've got that mob.
1: Don't know any experiences
2: from you? Oh, for me I was always in the beginning, let's get out as early as we can, um, and didn't see any goats. So once we started following that bank, the bankers hours, mm-hmm. um it certainly improved the um the success rate on the goats. But for me, I love rocks. I like climbing those rocks. And love rocks. Um, oh, I love rocks. <laughs> um and so and yeah, I, I love checking out those rocky escarpments and always find goats or goat sign. So I know we found that one escarpment that we climbed, Mark. When we we found those goats on them, we climbed up there, and it was just goats on everywhere. Oh, it was just a goat, yeah, goat factory up there. Um, right. And so definitely, yeah, check out those um, those rocky escarpments. But the other thing as well is you've got to listen. Um, I think you've got to you, you can use sound a lot to find them. Um, mm-hmm. So we, mm. we were, when we were in Savernia in the year, Mark, we were we use sound to find that, that small mob. Yep. um that's how we found them was through sound so they were you know they're not they're not like deer which are very quiet they you know they don't make a noise unless it's the raw they're sitting there bleeding away They're, they're yep. stupid things that, and um so use that when you hear them walk towards them and generally they're on their way to water you could probably cut them off or they're coming back yep. from water heading up to the to the high country so you can cut them off and that's what we did um so yeah look listen for them and and try and find those areas that you know they got a drink we went down what first light that on that one um, that one down there in Severn, Mike, looking for a pig, and we uh, we heard one which at the time we didn't know was a was a was a, a goat, which just made some funny coughing noise, but um, turned out it was a Billy because we, we found that out later, didn't we? Yeah,
0: well, that was really interesting, that, and that's another thing is always learning. Um, we were on on water on first light. And it was—it was sounded like there was someone over that had a smoker's cough, yeah. literally. And we were just going, what is that sound? I'd never heard that before, ever. And there were some weird sounds in Savannah. There was a rooster in there somewhere. <laughs> literally, we could hear him. And uh, I don't even know how it survived, but we could hear it. But there was this cough. And later on, we were, uh, we'd we just taken three goats. And all of a sudden, we hear the cough again. <laughs> yeah. Turn around and says, a bloody Billy coughing at us. Yeah. So he went so, down as well. But that's yeah. it. So sound is a really important thing there was a point there was a place in Severn that you could literally sit up it was a high it's it was, it's overgrown now so you can't really see off it but for a long time it was clear and you could sit there in the morning and just hit and eventually go oh, they're over there I can hear them mm-hmm. all
1: right I'm moving we're moving back to the NT yeah there's um, a lot I'm of questions the, coming in uh,
2: about the NT mate so yeah, sure, cool.
1: Sarah, if, if you if you're still with us we'll, we'll hit some of your questions now um, First one is buffalo a declared pest in the NT. Yes, it is according to the nt.gov.au site that I managed to Google while we were listening. <laughs> um, it is it's a it's a it's a pest up there declared by the NT government. Um, so uh, you can hunt them all round all year round, although you'll struggle to hunt them all year round because mm. half the land that they're on is underwater uh, during the wet season. So good luck. Mm. Um, a follow up question to that from somebody else. Uh, where are you, Dave? Um, was when did we hunt? We hunted the last couple of days of August and the first week of September. September. <laughs> and it was a great time. Um, the only thing that I've heard different to that is it gets harder to hunt as the build-up comes in. And we were on the really early part of the build-up. Yeah, there was literally one or two days into build-up. Yeah. The best yeah. hunting time um, I've heard is maybe a month later than what we went because it's hotter, the water is dried up more, and it brings the buffalo in uh, to a more condensed sort of area. Yeah, you still got to find them though. So, yeah, it's um, a lot of finding those It was incredibly hard. Um, but once you did, you found the life, of course. So um, that well,
2: was on, uh, yeah. Well, on that one, it, it actually is the next question. saying so any tips on finding buff solo? So talking about order. Well, yeah, I think
1: well, that's um, yeah, one. yeah. Go for it.
2: Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it took us a few days to sort of understand the patterns, but you know, we would go from billabong to billabong looking for for um for water or for sign uh and on most of those billabongs they were dry um the ones that held some water obviously the animals were coming in and to drink um but they weren't hanging around that they were they were moving off that water uh except for Mark where Mark had one that was actually lying in the water so um it just shows you that you've got to be ready at any opportunity and you know when you see it you just got to go from billabong to billabong um that's all you can do um look for sign and you might get lucky and find one in there just on some of those billabongs Watch out for the crocs.
0: Yeah. I've given it some thought, and I've given it a lot of thought. In a way, hunting a buff is the same as hunting any other animal in, in, in terms of you're looking for sign, but what you have to decide is, is this sign an indicator that there is animals about, or is this sign telling me there is animal here? hmm and that's the difference. so like when when i was hunting with brian the first thing we did was we 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 started looking for water so we basically cut in the scrubbed two k's and then turned into the wind and we heard these black cockatoos and we moved towards the black cockatoos they weren't on the water but they in they let us know there was water about and then we started finding water and so you we were following game trails you know, and buff- as you can imagine, a buffalo makes a fairly significant game trial. You know, and there was old buffalo turds and stuff like that. So it was like saying, well, there is buffalo in this area or has have been in this area. But then when it changed, when we went, oh, they're here. And that was because all of a sudden we found sign that was so fresh. It was like, they're, we're, they're somewhere here. And literally... I don't know if I could smell the buffalo or if I could smell the buffalo turd, I don't know, but I remember, you know, I just For a went, mark, it could something, be, no, it's yeah. up there, you know, it's like, bang, there is something here. It's, it's not like, oh, it's a bit whiffy. No, there is something right here. So first thing I, th- and, you know, and again, when I think about it, um, the sign told us exactly what was happening. So yeah. we were on a buffalo track and there was water about and there was, Two different sized turds, and so and there was two buffalo, and a different size. And imagine that. So bang, then we just got this smell. Went holy moly, there's something here. You know, you could, it and you think about it, it's a, it's a wild beast, and it's big. It stinks, and then we found I found a, a just a, a a puddle in the sand or the dirt. And I put my hand on it, and water came up out of that. I went, okay, it's they're just here somewhere. So mm-hmm. something, something has just done a pee in thirty-plus degree heat in in dirt, and it's still holding water. So it's just here, and again, and and literally within thirty seconds we saw them. So yeah. it's that kind of bringing that picture together, finding old sign to say okay we're in an area that holds animals and then refining it and getting more and more pointers going okay we've gone from knowing there's animals here to knowing we are in the presence of an animal
1: yeah i found the same thing the very first day that we were there we're exploring exploring a creek bed and i came across a buffalo turd and i was pretty excited about it but it was as hard as a brick Mm. right Uh, but that didn't matter that just told me there were buffalo there and and throughout the week we were piecing together the sign and, you know, we didn't know what their habits were really. We were, we were guessing a lot and we were piecing that puzzle together over the week. And then I found what I thought was the, a really nice, fresh sign. One of the videos I was talking to Matt about it, he was saying, yeah, it's a couple of hours old. Um, I thought, okay, well, it's a couple of hours old. That's what that feels like. Uh, yeah. And then when we found some really fresh stuff, it was like, okay, like mm. this is falling to bits. It's almost slopping down the sides of its own... You know, own walls, and um, yeah, n- going back now after seeing all of that, I think we'd be able to analyze a lot of that information, and mm, definitely, and, you know, and put ourselves in the right place a lot quicker. But that's part of the fun, right? Mm. The that's right. Like yeah. That
0: morning when we crossed that track, and we, you know, we literally crossed buffalo. Tr- buffalo had crossed our track within eight hours because yeah. we'd walked on that road the night before, and we found print on top of our print, so that said, okay. Something has come through here and then we, we, unfortunately, it was a sign of poachers and then we went, hang mm. on, that vehicle track, that's a different track. It's been turned around. Something's turned around there. That's weird. We mm. went up right and then we saw the birds and went up and there was a buffalo and it was still bleeding. So it was only dead a couple of hours at the most.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Nasir, the second part of your question, are there state forests in the Northern Territory where we can hunt? This will answer Dave's question on um, access as well. Um, there is a, I forget what they've called what back they call country. it. Backcountry, backcountry
0: hunters. I've got a backcountry license. Yep.
1: So there's a backcountry. Well, there you go. You want to follow that through then, Mark?
0: So there is a there is public land hunting um, in the Northern Territory. It's um, different to public land hunting, and say in New South Wales or Victoria, in that to hunt public land in the northern territory you have to hunt with a resident so you need to build contacts of someone up there who will hunt with you who's a resident and who has the public land license but the license itself is dead easy to get you know there's no issue with that and allows you to go it's 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 uh it's not as uh, i suppose the, op- the 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 various they're not forests but the spaces are not as plentiful as say in victoria and new south wales but there is certainly public land hunting up there and there's a couple of guys on youtube who specialize in doing some really nice uh getting public land animals in the northern northern territory pigs and buffalo so yep you can do it It takes a bit of planning and a a bit of um uh, you know getting on Getting on a getting onto a, a club or something like that, m- making some connections, but you can certainly do it for uh, for, for a public land price. Uh,
1: Brian Boyle, who um, we've had on the podcast as well, who ran that program, is only just left the NT. He's now back in New South Wales, mm. but um, he ran that for a while. Uh, what he said to me was, um, "Yes, you have to hunt with a resident, uh, as per what Mark said." Um, but he said if you gave um, the public land hunting, public land hunting, the backcountry hunting people a call or you contacted them on Facebook, um, they would tee you up with someone that had a licence up at the NT. It would be very rare that they couldn't find someone to help you out and get you onto that public land. Uh, It's Blitzville National Park that they've got access to or part of it. It's a big park. that has some great success in it. So, Mm. um, yeah, don't let uh, access to to you um, get onto that website, ask the questions, and and get up there and have a crack at it. Mm. Um, So, no, you don't need an R licence, but you need their licence. Um, it's and not dissimilar it from the, pretty.
2: it's not dissimilar from the old arson's from when I was it's talking to Brian, tonight. but it's, 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 it's also focusing on water management, hydration, I'm and sure. things like that, because it's, it's a completely not different, different yeah. 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 So it's yeah. a lot more self-awareness type training as well. Yeah. Or yeah. Education. Um, 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 I was going to say on that one, Dave also asks, how did the, uh, the 9.62 put the buff down, um, for me, yeah. it worked really, really well. Um, it was a great caliber. Do you need it? No, because yeah, you had some awesome success with the, uh, with that BRX.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The 30.06 did a great job. Um, but I, I was lucky enough to punch one straight through the front of his chest and into his heart. And he didn't really want to go anywhere after that. He was also a smaller Buffalo. He was not mm-hmm. a King bull buff. Um, he was, he was a, a, a juvenile. probably only a year, year to two years old. So, um, he didn't take as much lead. Um, Mark, you had a different experience?
0: Yeah, look, um, I the first buff I shot, shot it in the head and it was dead. didn't even, it literally just deflated. Um, so, yeah, perfect. And then the second buff that I didn't see busted from cover. And then that changed the game all. That changed very different. That was very different. I, I had to shoot that thing because um, it was moving at speed and um, it was big. Um, so the 9.3 was, 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 I, I was glad to have the 9.3. I, I was glad to have a heavy, heavy, heavy hitter. Um, though I was shooting 250 grain barns, which is actually technically a bit light for a 9.3. Mm. 9.3 is generally around a, I think it's a 286. That's kind of the standard. That's what I was shooting, line, the SMB. The, that's a, that's a really good round. That SMV. The reason I went for the for the Barnes in two fifty was it's a bit flatter out to two hundred. So I because I wanted to take a gun that I could use on everything. So you know I just wanted a, an NT gun. So pigs, donkey, whatever it is. So I wanted to have a little bit more a different ballistics than you might want for something purely for buffalo. Um, so I wanted a bit more legs. Uh, but that's it. it. They certainly worked. It, you know, it's, a, it, well, it's not on the wall. It's it's on top of the garage shed, still drying out, getting the fat out of, <laughs> out of the bones, but it works. Um, the other thing about the 9.3 is it's a mild gun. Mm, right? you know, the recoil is very mild. Bad, yeah. You know, it's not. It's, no, it's not. It's
1: mild. No, it's not. It's mild. I don't it's mild. listen to these two. I, I shot their rifle at the range uh, and it really but... took my arm off. No, I, I, I really enjoyed that nine three. Easy actually. peasy, easy peasy, yeah.
2: easy. Yeah, I, um, easy peasy. I've actually, I, I'm going on a hunt tomorrow, rifle. so I was getting the rifle out and I got, and I'm taking my three o eight, my Tikka three o eight, and I got the three o eight rounds out, and they feel like good old twenty twos in my hand after holding the <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Um, yeah,
0: look, I. I, I I can't speak high enough of the 9.3. I think it's a great all rounder, mm-hmm. and that's a terrible thing to say because it's it's an almost you know it's almost an impossibility. But up up there, it was, it's a great all round caliber. It will it'll knock everything that's up there because the stuff up there is big. Mm-hmm. The pigs are big. I because well, for a, for example, when the guy said you're going to shoot a donkey, I went oh, really, you know, and I thought I well, I thought literally, you know, those things that they put kids on it fed you know, <laughs> around a paddock i was thinking about something that yeah, you know, yeah, was yeah, like yeah. a big labrador no it was not donkey the up there is is yeah. a big animal it's yeah. kind of like more far more horse-like than yes. donkey-like or yeah. what i thought was donkey, mm. big animal Slice uh you know, lead as well. big animal swallow some lead mm. um and that's what people have always said they said them donkeys are tough and i went really yeah. something, you know but no it it's a big animal mm. um the pigs up there are big yeah. <laughs> they're real big um uh, you know, Ian shot two pigs, and both of them. Well, one was a Godzilla, and but the other one, you'd be very, very happy if you shot that in or else. It, it kind of looks smaller compared to the, the, the first one, mm. but it was a big animal. So, the nine point three would be a great. And again, we were shooting within a hundred meters, so mm. mm-hmm. having the running the, the you know the two eighty sixes would be a really good uh, a two eighty six with a very stout projectile would be a really good option. Yeah, I think next and trip. every man needs a safari gun. Okay, that's mm. it. Everyone needs a safari gun. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think next next triple buff, because I'm hooked. I don't know about you guys. But um, I'm going to stick to the uh, the 9.3 with 286 I think I might change the projectile potentially to something a bit more um, robust. I mean, there's nothing mm. wrong with those SMBs. They were great. Um but yeah, I think I'll stick to those 286s that perform perfectly on on the ones that I took. Yeah, um, put them down. I mean, still yeah. took three shots, um, but they put them down. Yeah,
1: mm. I was lucky enough to be using the uh, the BRX from Beretta, the new platform that the, the team at Beretta lent us for the trip, which was just unreal. And if you don't know the rifle, um, it's a straight pull action. Um, it's it's very um, uh, modular, like all of the components just click out. Um, you can, you know, dial down the trigger weights. You can do all sorts of things with it. But it, um, it's rumored to be coming out with uh, a 9.3 by 62 barrel. Mm. It's interchangeable barrels. Mm. So um, to be able to have that in 30.06 and also take up uh, the 9.3 barrel will make for a very interesting trip next time because it should be out by the time we head up to the NT again. Mm. Um, and watch this space. It's a fun it's – a, it's, a, it's a great rifle. Mm. Yeah. And and I the can only see,
0: downside was a, the 9.3 was um, magazine size is quite small.
1: Yeah, as you found out, you had a bit of feed, yeah. feeding issues, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. The other well, downside oh, yeah. to it is uh, 9.3 by 66 is something similar, isn't it, John? It is very very <laughs> is, similar. Yeah,
2: but they, they don't work with each other, unfortunately. So, no. Yeah. But, um,
1: uh, so unfortunately, we, uh, we we were unlucky not to take a pig on the uh, first morning. <sighs> didn't realize that they were different rounds. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and um,
0: fortunately, it was a pig not a bubble
2: yeah. coming <laughs> and out. And the one that was coming around coming at us. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a piece on that. Um, um, watch the space that watch the channel, there's a video coming out about that where I where I show that. Um, because yeah, it was a was an interesting, um, I suppose incident that we had there, we, we had an opportunity yeah. on a pig and something so minor as you know, 9.3 by 62 or 9.3 by 66 6 can actually have a big impact and could be a potentially dangerous um scenario um so yeah, yeah. um I'll, there'll be a, a video coming out about that so
1: yeah and frank um um straight up with your question did i enjoy using the aim point i loved it i loved it um look there was a time there was a situation on our first um encounter with buffalo where i started to think that i wish i had a scope because <laughs> hmm. they were at distance and you know i was having an ahhing about it uh but the, the the speed of the straight pull and the aim point on that brx was awesome. And mm. uh, yes, I may not have um, uh, kept it at shoulder and cycled those rounds as fast as I should have, Dave, um, but instinct made me drop it and look and put it back up again. It was still quick. Um, I really enjoyed it. The, the quick target acquisition with the aim point, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I really wouldn't want to change a thing. um
2: well dad just dropped in just talking about those 286s um grains he said 286 woodley hydros under 100 meters um, Ooh, so that'll be that'll be deadly that's uh that's a, that, that'll be awesome hopefully the uh the woodley guys have got their factory back up and running and we can get some of those rounds Damn. because obviously they have the fire up there um he also says 306 awesome caliber um I guess it, is. <laughs> yeah um We're jumping around a little bit. So is asking um, about some of the state forest stuff. So um, let's jump into one of those quickly. Um, He's just said, uh, would you consider Tugalo a productive state forest? I saw a few deer in Tugalo concentrated. So, yep. I've never been to Tugalo. Actually, I have Uh, been to Tugalo. I I,
0: I, I, I uh, Mm. I shot the first deer I've shot. With my eldest son, just him and I. So he's been hunting for a few years, and it's always been with a group of adults. Him and the first year that him and I, just him and I,
2: got together this year.
0: Tugela. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, I like have yeah. been a Tugela. Very wet, very muddy, but it's a beautiful forest.
1: Yep, it's some mm. awesome steep country down there. Um, there's rumours of some very large uh, animals down in the steep country that. You've got to walk all the way through to get to some French farmland. Um, yep. Yeah, I would persevere there. I've seen some great animals in there. In fact, uh, since I'm such a nice guy, hit me up after this and I'll throw you a spot or two to go and explore. Yep. Um, I've got a couple that are worth looking at.
3: Cool.
0: Yeah, we, we did the opposite. We just drove in there and uh, as soon as we came through the, the front gate, um, turned first track that appeared was on the left, turned down that, drove to a place that was – because it was wet, found the place – this was a place we could park, you know, safely park, parked up and just started walking I and mean, we just walked the, we just walked the tracks, cross did some cross country between the tracks and um in fact the deer was stand, literally standing at the car waiting when we came back.
2: <laughs> and uh and on that is November, December a good time to hunt in Nandal or Tuggalo? Um I've not I've only been there so in winter. We, I'm not sure about summer. There is no such
0: time as a bad time. But you
1: except, know, except except,
0: <laughs> except a, a fire or rain. But if I, I would not, I'd I'd hunt I'd hunt uh, nundle that time of year. Um, you know, you, you're legally allowed to hunt deer then, so there's no issue with that. Um, you know, there'll be there'll be deer on the ground. There'll be everything will still be there. Um, they won't be running. They'll be have different behaviours because it's summer. Uh, It might concentrate them a little bit more around water depending on what what the year turns out like in terms of, you know, with the rain and so on. But I would most definitely go um, hunting. I I actually would like to hunt Nundle in summer. I reckon it would be a really good experience. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think um, um, it does concentrate them more around water. And Mm. late November, early December is when they're going to drop their fawns. Mm. So Mm. you're going to have um, heavily pregnant those or hinds um, that are going to be closer to water because they don't like moving as much when they're full pregnant. Um, so there's there's that. The, the other consideration is that if you're going into sender, then they're likely to have fawns on the ground. So just be careful. Mm, but nice. you're likely to find mum with a fawn and a yearling. So, you know, if you were concerned about knocking over mum and leaving an orphaned fawn, um, then, um, yeah. Look for those yearlings that are with mums still because they typically will be. Um, mm. Would be my only thing, <laughs> and uh, be careful about water. It can get damn hot in there. And, in the, summer, and, but and, and, and the
0: bucks will be. And the bucks will be together. Mm. Yeah. The bucks. Are, in fact, when I was down there in July, we saw a, a bachelor mob. Is they're, they're already starting to mob back up, so the bucks will be together. Um, you know, they'll they'll have cast. They'll, they'll be forming. They'll be mm-hmm. um, so yeah.
2: And also, um, peliger So summer is, is good. I mean, uh, it's hot out there, but, I mean, I was in the peliger this time a few years ago. Um, so getting on to November, it's hot, but um, it's great hunting. You've done peliger, yep. uh, what, December, January, Mark?
0: I, I, to me, the, oh, look, I've, I've hunted peliger throughout the year, um, but, you know, for a reason, because no, I wanted to see what it was like through the year. So I've hunted in dead winter, and it it is cold in there. Oh. <laughs> and um, I've hunted it in uh, you know late January, forty degree plus days, and it's really really hot in there. And storms can be very violent and very quick. Um, however, the animals are still there. Mm. They don't, you know, they don't go to Bali for the for whatever, they? They're still there. Uh, they just, you just, they're they're like every animal, the the conditions, are, the prevailing conditions control how they their behaviour. So, yeah. uh, I've been in girl when it's just after rain and it's quite hard to find animals because it's such a big place, you know, and there's a million little puddles of water on the ground so they can water anywhere. I've also been there and the, when it's you know drought, when they just can't, they don't leave the water. So if you can get onto the water quietly, they're there.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. Another question on state forest hunts. Um, over the years that you've been hunting in state forest, have you found those forests have changed much?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll go first, cause um, I did two years in Nundal. My first two trips to Nundal were back to back. And then I had a, a five or a six year gap um, and the forest was completely different areas where I remember driving down the track. It was now open country, all the, the <clears throat> the blocks had been completely cleared, excuse me. <clears throat> um, there were roads that used to be there that were now sort of impossible. Um, the, the, the country looked completely different. Um, it was it was remarkably different. We need to remember that these forests are, they're active forests, you know, they're, they're forestry operations that are taking place. They've got a plan in place for the forestry. Um, so there's going to be areas, areas that get cleared, replanted. Um, so expect them to change. And just because there was an area that you found you know, last year or five years ago, that was good, it's not going to potentially might not be there. Um, And, you know, there's because of those logging operations, you know, there's often uh, a lot of exclusion zones, areas that I see severe, there's a huge exclusion in there. So they must be pretty, pretty active in the forest at the moment. So yes, those forests do change. Definitely.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, They get changed by human behaviour. So, you know, forestry operations, um, I once we're in the Pilliger and they were doing the survey for the inland rail. So that you know that kind of changed it, mm. that created all these really weird little exclusion zones. I remember that one. Yeah, strange exclusion zones. Um, forestry activity, you know, most definitely. Then you've got the fact that you know we've gone from drought to La Nina, so that's changed. So you know what it looks like in terms of the amount of water around. Severn is you know the garden of eden at the moment um it's it's so that's that changes and and the third change is that remember forests uh you know within a larger ecosystem so there's there's private for you know private farms around them so if those farms are doing things differently too, expect the forest and especially the animals to to change their behavior so yeah it's constantly changing which is why you know the best way, I think, to hunt a state forest is always to go down there and go, "Okay, what's happening?" and then adjust to that. Mm. And it usually might take you a day or two, but to actually go, "Okay, I've been here before. I've I've done. I've been successful mm. before, but I need to kind of say, I'm almost. I'm almost starting again. Mm. What am I going to do differently? What What's telling? What's What's the forest telling me that I need to be doing?"
2: Yeah, and also from an from an e scouting perspective, if you're trying to find some areas you know, in those forests, when that that satellite photo was taken, you know, on Google Maps or Google Earth, um, to what it is now that they could have come in and cleared that entire paddock um, of trees, so it could change. So you really have to treat it, look at the maps that's provided by DPI, etc. And, um, you know, look at all the exclusion zones and see where you know, where you can hunt where you can't, but you really have to wait till you're on the ground. I couldn't believe that there's that track that we went on in on that first afternoon. And that was huge, big forestry block and it was completely open country. When we drove through, it was completely different. Yeah. It's a different and forest. And it's like
0: when we, when we went down into Severn and we went down to the Southern block, um, there was this band of, uh, uh, you know, like a, a burr mm. that, you know, basically wreck, wrecked, your, wrecked your clothes. But basically that burr band would appeared on no map, but mm. what it did was, we found no animals had moved through it. Nothing was pushing through that. They were just simply going. So there was a whole, like a whole part of the forest that was excluded, not not because of human activity, but this kind of growth. It, so that's what you've got to consider as well. These mm. things are happening that, that might not have any rhyme or reason to them.
1: Good one. New question for state forests. Um, you see some rule changes that have come out recently about uh, thermals and the usage of thermals in state forests. Um, Do you have any opinions on those changes? Do we intend to show that on our podcast?
0: Uh, Well, we we kind of already have. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I used a thermal down in Nundle in July uh, for a scout. So I didn't have a rifle with me at the time. What I did was it was in the truck I didn't have it. I wasn't carrying it, and uh, I went out pre-dawn and just started looking around, and seeing what what I could see. Um, didn't see it. I saw actually saw lots and lots of kangaroos. Um, didn't see any deer. Oh, I saw one rabbit. Um, but the idea of you know using them as a scouting tool um, is open to you. And then uh, so yeah, I, I don't really have a, a you know I don't have a negative opinion of them because I, I think they're actually a useful tools. Mm. I've Hunted with people who hunt with thermals, actively hunt with thermals, and I, and I must admit, I didn't like it as much because I think they kind of almost over rely on them. But from from a scouting point of view, from a you know a, a, a scouting tool like you know like a like a like a new type of optic, I find them to be very very useful. So I you know I'd be keen to see how you would put one to, um, together within a state forest.
2: Mm. I mean, I've I've never used a, a thermal. Pretty keen to give it a try from a scouting perspective, just to see what what it can bring, especially in winter down in Nundle. Um, mm. I think it would be pretty interesting. So yeah, definitely keen to give it a try, and um, yeah, see, see see what it looks like.
1: Cool. All right. Next question from John. So the NT trip was a great success. From watching all the videos, where does it now sit on the bucket list for doing it again versus a new adventure? Oh we are doing it again. Um, we're going yeah. again. Yeah. John, we are we're going, going again,
0: brother. <laughs> John. Yeah, yeah. bucket um, list. That, yeah, it's gone.
2: We're yeah. doing it again. The the bug the bug bit pretty quickly for me pretty um quick. and the withdrawal symptoms were, were there from the moment I jumped on the airplane flying back to Brisbane. Yeah. Um and I was already thinking about going back. I loved it. It was an awesome trip. Yeah. Um so for me, it did tick up bucket list item but I've now made that bucket even bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to keep filling it up with more Buffalo adventures. So, um, yeah, for me, it was, it was an amazing trip. I absolutely loved it. Um, the experience, the people we went with the hunting, it
1: was hot, but it was dusty, but it was amazing. It was, yeah, it was awesome. Did I, I've been there, I've been there twice. Now, the first time I went up there completely unprepared, I'm pretty sure it was the same time of year, but it was hot. Um, it was hot this time, but I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be quite as <coughs> humid as it was. And, I oh, look, it just kicked my ass and sent me home. It's pretty much the only way to put it. So I was reluctant um, this time around because uh, it was either head up the NT or go on a Samba trip, and I kind of really wanted to go Samba hunting. But this opportunity mm. proved to be too good to be true, and... Um, I got on board with it, and then I got super excited about it as we started to plan it, and, and I can't speak highly enough of it. It's very different to anything else we've done uh, or I've done, you know, um, compared to hunting deer and goats. Um, the only thing I could liken it to was Pilgrim in the summer, um, but it had a different feeling about it. At one point, Jono and I were, were uh, tracking a bull through this scrub, and I turned around to Jono and said, you think we do you think we should be just aimlessly walking through this thick scrub mm. with a buffalo right there ready to stomp us into the dirt? But it, it, it's. I've, I've, I've often wondered what it would be like hunting in the U.S. where, you know, you're not the only um, apex predator. You know, mm. Something's hunting you at the same time as you're hunting. Well, I kind of got that feeling at points in time. Um, I know as we were walking into that canyon, Mark, you know, one day there was this really steep, rocky canyon we're walking through, and I'm just going... Man, this is the dumbest thing so far. If they decide to come out this canyon, we've got nowhere mm-hmm. to go. We're going to scramble up a, you know, up a rocky cliff. You know the experience that Mark had when he was shooting that big buff. That thing was just bulldozing its way up a two meter, you know, um, you know, cliff, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It didn't care. So these things yeah. can move. Incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Dave. The entire is certainly- um, Sorry. Yeah, any comments, Mark? Incredible. On Head shooting
0: versus oh, shoulder shooting. The buff. Um, well, you know, I said head shot um, did exactly as you'd expect. A running shot on a bigger buff is, did probably much as you'd expect. And um, you
3: know,
0: I only had two rounds in the in the well the rifle at the time because I put one into the the so I was out pretty quick. And I was single loading as I was following it up. And I got within about twenty yards of it. And you know, after that I actually had a pretty good thought of I thought I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, but at the time I was just it was I was I was just doing it. Itchie, so itchie. yeah, and that's why that's probably what I what I think most about the N T was when we we're up in that escarpment country and I was just going birds don't even live up here, <laughs> let alone a buffalo. And uh, and that and then when I when I shot that one because I, as I said you know as you guys know I wanted one with the curly horns mm. I wanted a buff with curly horns and I, and I found one and um, so yeah it, it's 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 difficult to like all good hunting trips it's actually difficult to properly put it into context if you weren't there and but um, it also reinforces the fact that we all so much want to go back I yeah. think um, yeah. you know. Also reinforces how, yeah. how how special it was. There's certainly samba, duck. There's lots of things I want to do.
2: Oh, I still want to do Victoria, um, but, but,
0: I but I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to add them to <laughs> my bucket rather than re- take one yeah, thing out agrees. and put something you know, in. It's, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm I'm greedy that way. I want I want I want more in the bag. Not, mm. I don't want to. Mm. I don't want to replace anything.
1: Yeah, Dave. A, a bit more on your question <clears> about head shooting versus shoulder. Um, the comment that I got from uh, Boily, who was up there with us, was um, head shooting is a uh, risky business um, mm. because those things spend their lives smashing their skulls against each other. Mm. Um, there's a good chance your bullet's not going in. Um, yep. Whereas on the other side, <coughs> shoulder shooting or getting it in behind the behind the shoulder and, and into the lungs and heart, there is a lot of animal there with a lot of adrenaline, and it's going to mm-hmm. keep going. Um, yep. th- they they are. Just tough, super tough. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's a right answer
0: there, mate. It's- in regards to the headshot, um, it was it was because it was actually the... I was in a position to take a headshot. So the animal was um, wallowing. Um, it was facing away from me. It didn't know it was there. And it's the back of its head was exposed to me. So I was yeah. able to very easily just aim so I wasn't shooting it, you know, front on. So I was able to shoot in the back of the head, and like any animal that gets hit with nine point three in the back of the head, it didn't even raise up. It just literally, lit, lit, you know, it just lit, went limp, sunk down more in the water, which is actually a bad thing because when again I think about it, if we had to retrieve it, I'd, we'd be worried about what was in there with it. Yeah, but um. Whereas the one that was running, I was I did like I was I did what I would be doing if I was shooting a deer. I was trying to shoot it up up in the heart lung. That's it. No. It was moving. So yeah, I I I I don't do headshots unless it's uh it's the it's the optimal shot. Um, and in fact, when we on the first day when we came or the first time we hit Bath and we went up that herd. And that herd bull was looking at us and he was sniffing, you know, doing that typical yeah, yeah, the head uh, kind of ad for the Northern Territory <clears throat> where it's looking at us. It was showing its chest at me and I was wondering if I should drive one into its chest, into the boiler room. But then it turned and it put its kind of shoulder in front of me and I thought, you know what, I probably couldn't smash that comfortably on an animal that big and not not you know and be comfortable that it wouldn't it wouldn't charge off because it was such a big animal That was a huge bull that was incredible I you know, well, just kind of add a bit more to that
1: shoulder there. um our first <clears> our <throat> first experience with the buffalo when we got up there on the second day was a mob of 30 of them that's right like it was
2: <laughs> it was people <laughs> like
0: yeah it was it
3: was yeah yeah
0: and 30 um, pairs of 30 pair, a pair of eyes is very hard to sneak up on yeah
1: yeah, very right, yeah. Um, hey, uh, Frank's question, besides weight scales, what would you definitely take next trip to the NT? John, oh, you said something the other day that you would you would take. I don't know if you recall it. No, I don't.
2: An and, no. Yeah, there, um, was something,
1: there was something that was said. Um, anyway, the question still stands, <laughs> if you can think of something. For me, I would probably uh, take less,
0: to yeah, be honest. It's, I, I was going to say, Frank, I'd flip it over
2: and I'd take less.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I think we would you believe it. it. I had a jacket, I had a thermal shirt, I had a poly fleece jumper and you know, I'd heard it got cool overnight there, so I was pretty well loaded up with fuzzy stuff. Yeah. Mm. Take that again.
0: So with our gear that uh, what we took, Frank, was we took um camping you know, gear camping gear. <laughs> yeah, That's free, all yeah, the Frank? yeah, yeah, Frank.
1: <laughs> the answer is me. Me, the answer is me. That's what you take next time, says Frank.
0: Oh, I oh, yeah, well, yeah, mate, sure, if we can get you in a duffel bag, you, you, you're fine. Um, so, yeah, I take less gear. Um, we took, like, hiking gear. So um, the one thing I do is uh, I took my smallest tent. Uh, I wouldn't do that again. I'd take one slightly bigger. Um, but, you know, your sleeping gear, obviously a mat, you can't replace that. But I took a sleeping bag. I probably wouldn't take a sleeping bag again. I'd probably just take a... Um, Next time, I just take a bag of liner, and if I got cool, I just, you know, basically drag clothes on top of myself. Um, yeah, take less. Um, interesting stuff, like up there, there, if you watch the video, there's one, there's a couple of shots with me carrying a saw. The guys in NT, uh, Brian and Matt, they don't carry knives. They they go to Bunnings, and they buy Stanley knives, or the equivalent of Stanley knives, and cheap saws, and mm. that's what they use for butchering. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that that you know, and they basically they'll get two or three buff per saw and Stanley knife, and then they're Very useless, right. and they just yeah. replace them.
1: So yeah, so
0: take less. Um, yeah,
1: that Stanley knife was used to cut the uh, the head skin down to the bone, so yeah. you didn't get yeah. all that gristle and stuff mm. in yeah. the saw. And, and, and the skin stuff.
2: is so thick as well. It's ridiculous, incredible. Yeah. As you yeah. can imagine,
1: um, mm. but even the skin on the head. You'd think it'd be thinner around the skull than it was on the body. It wasn't. It was pretty thick stuff. Um, so moving into um, clothing, there was another question that came in earlier. Um, how did the boots hold up after witnessing the boily shuffle and the long kilometres over the hardened footprints from the previous wet season? Um, I'll go first on that. Um, the advice that was given to me before we went was to not bring your, your big Samba you know high country hunting boots i run a pair of lower um um z8s i think they are uh and they're not a heavy boot they're a pretty light boot really compared to some of the other lowers but um i decided not to take those <clears throat> and i went to um one of the one of the one of the shoe stores and picked up a pair of um god i can't even remember what brand they were now but they were um They were basically an all-synthetic. What I was looking for was the lightest boot I could find. Um, And when I mean boot, I mean ankle-hiking-style boot Mm. um, that didn't have any waterproofing in it. You didn't need it up there, um, and it just makes your foot sweat. So that's what I was looking for. Uh, Would you believe it? You can't find um, those sorts of boots. They were Keens, what I bought. They were Keens. In the end, they were a synthetic pair of Keens, completely synthetic, but they were still a waterproof one. The only downside of those was the only color they came in was black. Black in the heat. Once we were sitting down having lunch and had my feet in the sun, got pretty damn warm. But as far as boot, they were awesome. They were light, comfortable on your feet, and I had zero foot problems whatsoever. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I took a, a lightweight pair of Merrill hiking boots. Um, they were the waterproof ones, but um, they're obviously very breathable, uh, and I had no issues. I, I wouldn't have wanted to wear my leather boots up there, that's for sure. They were they were perfect. Those um, Merrill hiking boots. Absolutely
0: perfect. Yeah, I, I, I wore, I did wear leather hiking boots. I took my um, um I had a problem on one of the days with socks that turned into blisters. But, you know, just kept going. She's fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Just keep going. Uh, For me, buffalo. Again? Your feet
1: hole in your foot? Well, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I I found the boots didn't. They, you know, they, they they the boots themselves were okay. Um, yeah, I just one day it was particularly sweaty, and the sock kind of started bunching around my heel, and that was it. And once it started, um, that was it. But I've found that uh, I've actually bought a pair of boots for summer in the NT. They are lowers, but they are they are a synthetic, non waterproof boot. Mm-hmm. Managed hmm. to find them. They they're not cheap though. It's actually some. It's very difficult to find that. But uh, I'd be keen. I'm very keen to try them out next year.
1: Just rolling on with the uh, the gear questions, Mark. Um, how did the rest of the clothing choices hold up? We are in the heat. Um, yeah, you know, it was pretty interesting. Yeah,
2: I mean, for me. Yeah, look,
0: I mean, so go
2: go mate. I was going to say I didn't change my clothing that I would use from the that I would use in the pelican. It was the same clothing um it was just you know obviously long sleeve for the sun i wore long pants um just for sun protection um that was the big thing was probably sun protection and stuff that's breathable but no different to what i wear in the program
1: yeah i wore the um very ultra light pants uh that hunter's element put out That have got the like the the air mesh back of your knees and you Mm. know down your legs you can zip them open those sorts of things um sun smart was the really important part of this getting um getting heat stroke and things like that was just something we were very, very careful about. We were watching each other's, um, you know, the, the, the way that we were holding ourselves and, you know, if there were any changes in, in that, then we were, we were pretty quick. Well, we were hopefully going to be pretty quick to spot dehydration. And luckily enough, we didn't have that problem. Um, but I think long long sleeves and long pants certainly help with that. Um, and I was trying the um, Ringers Western long shirts. <coughs> They've got a lot of ventilation. Um, around them, they're a cotton sort of stretch fabric. Um, not as light as some of the gear that Mark and Jono were wearing, but I found them to be really, really good. Um, the only problem I find with stuff that they put out uh, is um, a lot of the venting is, you know, over your shoulders and, and down your back, and that, of course, gets closed up when you stick a pack on. Um, so um, that that was – it didn't cause a problem. I was comfortable the whole time. I was surprised how comf- com- comfortable I was with long sleeves and long pants on the whole time, um, but I wouldn't change that at all. Yeah,
0: I just uh, probably the only I wore a couple of the Columbia fishing shirts, the really the new the technical ones. So they're not they're cotton blend type thing are technical. So they got the wicking action in them. They're really good. Um, I also wore a couple of the British shirts and there's one day you can uh, Boily said something like, I love the camo pattern because you could just see the salt stains in it, you know. It was just the white lines in it. Yeah, see, you're just going to get hot. So there's nothing, you know, other than not wearing anything, you're just going to, everything's just going to gather sweat. But it's more of the fact that you're walking through, you know, country that's got, you know, can be a bit bit sharp and prickly and and rocky, so you want to protect yourself. And, again, you know, it's... 30 plus every day if not higher you know there was that one afternoon we turned up and it was it was close to 40 and then we started walking in the sun there was no way you were going to avoid a sweat but you didn't want to get burnt because you know you wanted to be in the game the next morning so yeah just long sleeves long long pants and a, and a good I think the good the, the hardest thing to find is a good hat
3: mm.
1: yeah next one on the list is GPSs John O what GPS did you use?
2: I just use my uh, my Garmin watch, which has got the built-in GPS. Um, so I would record the track. I'd mark where we started from, um, and then obviously it would, would record the track. I can do a um, a route back from that. Um, obviously, I, if I wanted to do a straight line or do a backtrack, I just use my watch for that. Um, and I yeah recorded all the hunts tracks. Um, plus I get all the information of the hunt, how far we walked. All that um all that detail was perfect no, that didn't need a handheld um i did have my phone with me but i didn't have any signal um so google maps <coughs> like that's not going to be uh um of use yeah thanks optus um and uh yeah i thought the government watch was just perfect mark i think you took your your rhino didn't you
0: yeah so because i've got the um the bino rig
2: with the rhino pouch and i just i just kept
0: it uh, the rhinos are a great gps the thing is we didn't use them all that often mm-hmm. we just used them more of the kind of uh return home so when we left if we especially we're especially going on a big walk we just you know just basically waypointed so we knew how where we were going back to uh, we weren't following maps and contours you know we were literally searching for water so that drove the direction you know uh, you know the wind and water drove the direction yeah Mm. Um, so it was only uh, you would not need a overly complicated GPS, um, for the kind of hunting we were doing. It was more about a you know, can, can it get you
2: home, Mike? Yeah, so yeah,
0: where's it? the truck? Yeah. How far is it? Yeah, yeah. where's right. Yeah. How far is it? Where is the truck? Because uh, there was once one night, we kind of did a quick march back to where we thought we were, you know, where yeah. the car was, and we went, oh, hang on, we now we've got three K's. Mm. So we weren't lost. It was just, we were on a track. We just we came out on the track on a different point. realised well we had a we had a long way back. So it wasn't hard navigation by any means.
1: Yeah, I used my my Phoenix, Garmin Phoenix as well. And again, same as John, I just hit a waypoint so I could find my way back. Um, and I found that that was really good. Um, the, the topography was yes, there were some some hills, but they were features. Mm. Once you saw the features, you basically mm. navigated off those features. You knew where the car and the camper in relation to those. That was never a real drama. <coughs> we covered, oh, I don't know, twenty to thirty k's on foot a day. Um, it was pretty um, hot, like nasty, sort of hot conditions. Um, but yeah, certainly GPS. I'm not saying don't take one, but uh, we we use the basics of basics. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. need
2: a, a really fancy one, just something that you can mark your start point. Um, That's it, yeah, and then that you can
1: get back to home. That's all you need.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, backtrack function is mm. what you really need. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Right. Um, favorite pack, I'll let you two answer that because you had the same one, and I would run what you have next time, for mm.
2: sure yeah, so I've got the yeah. QU, what is it, the Adventure 23, I think, Mark, is that it? Adventure, Adventure yeah, Adventure. Adventure. yeah, uh, like three. That. Um, yeah. I haven't <laughs> got there, I haven't oh, yeah, right that, yeah, yeah. there it is because um, I'm actually getting ready for a hunt tomorrow so this is the Adventure 2300 QU mm. um, I've used that for the first time this year in the raw, and um, and obviously now that in the um in the nt i love that pack it's so comfortable for me um it really fits me well um and it's got um, yeah it's got all the pockets and space and yeah thanks frank frank yes the uh the Barbie, yeah. the barbie pack. That's it i've <laughs> <the Barbie. laughs> upgraded mate. i've upgraded um no i love that pack i think it's great barbie is upset <laughs> um i can put everything that i need in there carried all the water i mean we were carrying quite a water system that we had going we had large yetis yeah. with ice we had a smaller yeti with um uh electrolytes and then i still had a two liter bladder in the back um so we had um you know we had a lot of weight in there and it was super comfortable to do um uh, you know 20 or 30 k's a day so yeah dave agreed completely those cues are great packs and i think ian you said you're yep. gonna you're gonna be upgrading to
1: one as well aren't you yeah, yeah, I've I've tried a couple of different packs. Um, I've never really been happy with my mid sort of size day pack. Um, for a couple of days, I carried around a seventy-five liter pack up there, um, under the grand expectations that I was going to have to be carrying large amounts of bone out every day. Uh, I could have left that at cancel the last hour. Um, in hindsight, <laughs> but um, um, you know, we, we we discussed carrying a meat hauler style pack out there, and um, and that's what I took. But I also took my smaller one um yeah not overly happy with it so i'll be i'll be moving on to the kill you
3: mm-hmm.
0: and the other thing is um it was a good carry-on bag for the, the plane yeah. too yeah. so you know it it, it fits into that carry so for for uh, for the traveling hunter it was a good size the 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 reason i got mine originally was that whilst it's and if you look at any videos I'm, it's the pack i carry most i mean i carried it today for about five hours the the benefit of that particular brand, I always, I call it Kuiu, I can't even pronounce it properly, but anyway, um, is that that pack comes in a different frame size, even though the literage stays the same. So if you if you're like me, and you need something that's a bit taller, you can buy it in the long frame, so it fits you. So because often you know with with smaller packs, it's a smaller frame, so you know you end up. Not be able to use the waist strap or the chest strap, and you, you know you're kind of using it just like a school bag. That you can actually use it as it is designed. If you're over six foot, you just buy the bigger, the bigger, the bigger, the bigger frame version, mm. and that's what was the big selling point for me. Other than the fact that it's really it's well made, and it's got lots of pockets, and it, and it has it's got lots and lots. It's, it's got, got yeah, tons of storage, it. and it's got um, some of the really good pockets are the two. Um, belt pockets mm. so they'll carry one of them i put the um the ePerb or the, the, the i'll carry my locator lo- yeah. beacon in and stuff like that you can have it there it works really well and yeah but you can set it up so you can actually use it like a proper pack so when you're when you are carrying red deer out or something like that or when i had the, I, I lashed the buff horns to the back of it and carried it out no problem
1: excellent mm-hmm. Next question, back to state forest hunting. Nasir, are there any other productive state forests near Brisbane for deer other than Nundle, Tuggerah, Hanging Rock, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Butterleaf certainly has deer. It's uh, part down the New England. Um, mm. I know a number of people that have taken deer there or have seen deer there, so check that one out. It's not an easy block to hunt, but you know it's closer, so go and mm. have a look. And I yeah. imagine there are other deer. It's one of those things. When I first started state forest hunting, everyone told me what parks were crap. Um, and in my experience, you've, you've got to go and have a look for yourself just because one person didn't see it. I'll tell you, how many people have told us that there's no goats in Severn? Everybody. How many people have told me that. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> you shouldn't believe them. Um, and the same goes for some of these other parks. So go and have a look yourself, but um, sure.
0: I've explored a number of those parks so on the what well, you might say on the eastern side of the new england highway that that area um they hold deer that you know they do i've seen deer in there um on, on a number of occasions the benefit of you know spending a few extra hours of traveling to none you you're going to increase your chances of yeah. taking a deer um and you know it's just going to be um you 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 will take a deer in Budleaf um um if if, you know if 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 things work for you you will um but you're much more likely to take a deer in nundle and you're more likely to see deer and you're more likely to see other things like pigs as well so whilst you might be saving yourself three hours travel time or not even that really between those you're saving at least a couple hours travel time you're actually increasing your chances greatly. So I'd actually say if you're thinking about it and you're kind of going, is it worth a couple of extra hours? It is. It's worth a couple of extra hours. I 100 agree. 100%. And if you follow uh, uh, Ian's approach, which is to go through Walker, you do save an extra hour from Brisbane. It's a good truck. It's a, good a trip much better to. way yeah. in. It's a, it's a much better way in. And... So you, at your at you turn towards Walker and then you drive into the top of the forest. So you come into Nundle from the top rather than from the bottom when you come in through Tamworth. Um, it's a much more pleasant drive. Um, you you've got much more opportunity to see deer as you're driving mm. in and Walker's a really nice town. It's, it's got two shopping centres and it's got a petrol station and
3: coffee three shops coffee shops and, 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 and stuff yeah.
0: like that. It's a nice place to stop. So mm. you can get your supplies, you can get fuel up. You can get a hamburger, and then and then you've got a, a what about an hour and a bit drive to Ponderosa.
1: But you feel like you're in hunting land. That's a right. Forty, that's 40 that's minutes a good thing. Out of walk because yeah. you're driving yeah. through. thirty yeah. minutes of park. That's right. Mm-hmm. You go
0: for walkie. I think it's called. Um, is it top something top road top Dale Road? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. You turn there. You go along, and then you see the Nundle Forest Way or the Forest Way. You turn on that. Yeah, for just about you, just uh, before the 10 channel, minutes Tugalo. you're through public land and mm. then bang, you're in the forest and mm. you're in hunting zone all the way through.
2: And if you go to Tugalo, it's that, 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 that's where the, the road that's is. That's right. And, is. And,
0: the, and if you wanted to go to Tugalo, it's actually so much quicker to yeah. go that way to Tugalo yeah, that's because it, that's the best way to enter Tugalo through the top. Mm.
1: Mm. Good question. Next question. Uh, Dave, I'll explain with visuals. Here's nope. our water system. Ah. <laughs> so... We had a 1.4 something litre bottle of Yeti, right? Oh, a Yeti bottle. Um, so they're an insulated <laughs> bottle, as you know. Um, we stuffed that as tight as we could with ice and um, and then filled up the gaps basically with, with cold water. That's how we started the day. So it was already ice and then icy cold water went into it and that went in the pack. <laughs> this one we stuffed with ice, it's about an 800 mil. Bottle, we stuffed that one with ice as well. And then we filled that up with water and electrolyte. So we had a, a good bottle of electrolytes because you we were sweating out all of those minerals. And then in our packs, we had a three or a four litre bladder, depending on what we were running individually. So I was carrying six litres of water for every half day that we went out. Um, but ice lasted in that overnight. So you'd hunt all day and then overnight. Every time you took a decent drink out of this one, you'd top it back up out of your bladder and then that water would be chilled and that, that would chill your core way better than drinking 30-degree water that was sitting in your bladder on your pack in the sun all day. Now, I know there's been some, some comment. <coughs> some people don't agree. I also have heard that um, drinking chilled water just every day is not as good for you as drinking you know, normal room temperature water, but in the conditions that we were in, it just kept our body temperature cores lower and we didn't need to drink as much water. I found that I was never, ever super thirsty and I was, I was mm. just wasn't gagging for water all the time. What we did find though was that we started off with these things with electrolytes with no ice in them and that just that was gag material. No, it, oh, it could taste nice, it? But as soon as it was freezing cold, it was much, much easier to drink. Mm. And um, not one of us got dehydrated nope. and drinking all of that, <coughs> excuse me, all of those electrolytes. Um, we didn't have any cramping problems or anything like that. So brilliant system.
0: And the thing is, as you're going <laughs> along, you're drinking through the bladder and your you pack. And when you go, okay, you know, you're going to stop, you actually only need to take a couple of sips of that cold water for it to, you know, have an effect. And what I found was that the electrolytes became such more, so more effective because you weren't simply sweating them out. You weren't mm. like hot and, you you know, you, you you sweating them out when you had that cold water first and it seemed to kind of stabilize you then the, you only needed again a, a small amount of the electrolytes to actually get that you know you actually feel like you were drinking them rather than simply sweating them straight back out so it it did have this weird effect where it made you consume a little bit less water because it would seem to be more effective
1: yeah <laughs> I think we've um, we've dried up the question. Oh,
0: have we? Okay, yeah. I can't yeah. see in mine, so I I'm, I'm
1: was well, no, no, Actually, no, that's we, okay.
2: you missed one there. Brother, State Forest. Have you hunted Brother State Forest? Brother,
1: um, no. It's been on my list to hunt it. There's a bunch <laughs> down there that I really want to go and hunt. I hunted a number of them um, early on, and then I trained an indicating dog. So I actually want to go back with an indicating dog because I think I'll. I mean, I know I have more success with her. Um, it, it, by all reports and, and its location and proximity to deer, it should have deer going through it. Um, I suspect it's a fairly scrubby block that doesn't have a lot of decent pick on the ground, um, similar to, um, oh, I forget some of the other ones' names, but a lot of that country around there is quite, quite scrubby. So, you know, deer might pass through it on their way to farmland, things like that. Um, but worth a look. It, on paper, it looks great.
0: Don't know myself, so yeah, worth having a look.
2: Right. Oh, so Dave's just Uh, put a question around the electrolytes. Um, Did you charge up on electrolytes at night before bed or just beer?
0: Rum.
1: (laughs) Oh, We ran the beer down, didn't we? Yeah, we we did. Drink rum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, mate, we didn't. No. Um, Once we got back into camp, it was pretty relaxed and jovial, and as you can expect with six fellas around a campfire in the NT. But um, I think that's because we had such a good system during the day that we didn't yeah. didn't have to yeah. charge up at
2: night. If we didn't run that system during the day, we would have tried to be catching up at night and certainly wouldn't have drunk as much beer yeah. because that's going to dehydrate you more. So certainly didn't wake up ever with a headache or um, feeling stiff or sore or anything like that. We were up and ready to go. Yeah. And yeah, the, no. of the electrolyte
1: was it, John? Uh,
2: it was just Hydrolyte Sport is what we used. So yeah. um, we bought a big... one kilo tub and that saw us the three of us through the week we even had a little bit left over so um it didn't we i think we had the lemon lime flavor uh when it was warm it wasn't the tastiest but with with a bit of ice in there um it was actually pretty good and it worked i actually bought some today for much tomorrow so
0: yeah and i mean i hunted every day didn't so that you know didn't have a problem at all i mean obviously when you came back at night you're weary um but no, not a problem at all, just, you know, so we did a lot of Ks in, in pretty tough conditions. So, you know, we're on our feet for, on, on average, like eight hours a day. Yeah. And uh, what the what we found with, like, observing the yeah. NT guys is that they hunt more in the afternoon. Yeah, they, so they're in the morning, they kind of go. Yeah. In the morning, they go kind of exploring and they have a look around, they have a think. It's in the afternoon, they get serious. And mm. they go looking mm. for water in the afternoon.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there was and a couple of mornings they skipped. Right,
0: you know, they hunt into dark. You know, mm. so it wasn't like they'll go because you know that that last ninety minutes light is when it's going to happen more than likely. You know, and that's I think all of us took buff in that 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 period of time. Yep. And so you know you want to be you want to be pretty good. You want to be ready for that part of the day. So you don't want to be kind of um oh, I'm I'm at, you know I'm I'm winding down now. You actually want to be right. And then when we get back to camp. You Know we'd have a few drinks and have something to eat and then bed and back at it again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Frank, to answer your question about how we kept ice for a week in an isolated area, was hard. we was Two camps, two camps on uh, basically two camps with one overnighter, but um, halfway through the trip, we moved camp to a different area. At that point, um, a couple of us went back into town to about a three hour round trip by the time we got back, but essentially we had. Uh, four or five eskis stuffed full with block ice and um, it lasted for three or four days um, the first round and then we sort of just had enough once we filled up for the next one but yeah yeah we did a big keep challenge the, keep the ice separate um, don't put your drinks in with your stored ice um, you know we take one bag out um, you know have it ready for um, you know it might go into the drinks the drinks eski and then we'd fish ice out of there for our for our yetis Yep. And we had a couple of situations where meat came back into camp, and meat got dumped in with the ice, and then all of a sudden your your water was tainted. Your water was was stuffed, and you you had to dump all of that out pretty much because <laughs> you couldn't use it for your yetis. Um, so a couple of little learnings there, but um, yeah, uh, it it was difficult, but we managed. Mm. Yeah. Certainly, good eskies needed out there. Um, I mean, mm. the
2: the heat was it, it was you know it was hot, and to keep no. that ice. Fresh and, and cold. You really need some good Eskies and lots of them. So little cheaper cheap ones from down at um, from Kmart or something that's not going to work. You need you know a decent brand that's got some good insulation on it. Um, certainly, we had a mix of them and they all worked well. But it's a struggle in that heat. No matter what you take, it's a struggle.
0: Especially in the hill camp there because there's no real shade. Mm. Um, it wasn't as bad when we were on the Goose Lagoon because you know every, there was proper shade there. But when in, in the, the, the first camp the hill camp you know there there was a little bit of shade but there wasn't really any area that you could keep them cool throughout the day so that was also a, a problem and you know we had, we set tarps up to try and keep them cool but didn't really work so that was the that was no doubt the biggest struggle was keeping the ice up
1: mm, definitely well yeah. okay i think at. um an hour and 40 minutes, that's probably a pretty good session. Um, I don't think we'll go and ramble on too much about other things that we might have talked about. I think that's been a really good place to put it. Um, Frank, Dave, Big Dave, Big Dave FPV, we know who you are. Uh, Frank, I think I might have said Frank, Nasir and Jono, I dropped my email address or our email address in there, send us your details. Um, I'm going to send a gift pack out to you for participating. It's been great um, to have you there, and you've asked a whole bunch of questions and really made this um, live podcast what we hoped it would be. So mm. really appreciate your um, your inputs, and uh, hopefully we'll run another one sometime in uh, in the future. And um, if you like the format, I think that's something that's worth doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just put some comments on and um, on the page
2: and let us know if there's anything else you want us to talk about, and we can include that in the next one. That'll do. Thanks, cool. guys. Okay. Awesome. A Thanks, Cool. We'll see you again.
1: Cool. Good night, see guys. You guys. See you, guys. Hey, yeah. man, How was the day? You've
0: been off deer hunting. What's happening? Might as well give us a free while we're waiting. Uh, yeah, so um, Friday Arvo hunts have turned into Friday morning hunts because it's just too goddamn hot. Mm. Um, so I go up, I leave here about 10 to 3. Um, get up there for 4.30. Unfortunately, that is now too late. I have to get up there at 4 because it, it's full light. I want to get there before dawn and get on the block. And I usually hunt to about 10. And if I don't see anything by 10, I don't usually see anything till for the rest of the day, so I come home. So it's it's a quick squirt. And um, today, didn't see any deer, but I think I um I may have inadvertently bumped a big pig. Um The trail cams have images of little pigs. And the thing about little pigs, they need big pigs to make them. So they're up there somewhere. And I think I might have bumped one of them today. So Mm. good day. Nice. But didn't get to um, drop the hammer or anything. And was back by one o'clock. Very, very, you know, very uh, sociable hours.
1: Very good. All right. So let's kick off. Firstly, um, we just we were doing the maths on this with, uh, as we were waiting for this to kick off. We're in 15 months into the camp Care Club. So it would have been nice for us to stop three months ago and go, hey, we're one year old. But let's do it now. Hey, we're one year old. Look at that. Big effort. 105 videos have gone up, various videos and podcasts and bits and pieces, and we've had a heap of interaction from people, so it's been really good. The idea of running this session tonight was, oh well, A, we just thought it was a fun idea to do this live, um we've, we've had a, a number of podcasts out now and we feel like we've kind of got the hang of it a little bit. So um, we'd like to do it live and hopefully we don't muck it up too much. Uh, but also it gives everyone the opportunity to come through and ask some questions and, and um, you know, questions from the podcasts that have passed, some of the hunts and trips that we've done. We've met a number of you on the ground in the forest. People have come up and found us. We've had people join us on trips. It's been great. So it's an opportunity for people to say hi and, and you know, these are some questions I've got. Um, It's been fantastic to watch so many of our listeners and viewers um, going out to their first state forest hunt, taking their first animal, having Mm. a great time, messaging us live from wherever it is that they're hunting, looking for extra advice, sending photos and all that good stuff. It's been awesome to watch. And I think I said to Mark way back when we started, if we could help one or two people just get out there and go hunting and experience what we do and and you know, and be successful. It would be all worthwhile what we're doing. So, thanks to you guys for doing it and listening and taking the advice and getting out there. Um, it's been awesome to watch. So, anyway, that is my intro, fellas. Have you got anything else you want to add before we kick off some questions?
0: No, I, I just to say that I had a personal goal. If we get twenty people who don't hunt hunting, uh, mm. if we can do that, then they'll get some people hunting. They'll influence someone in their family. Might you know, get their family involved. their kids. They'll so get friends involved. That's all we need to do. And then all of a sudden, we've got more and more people hunting. We've got more and more people influencing around hunting. And we you know in regards to state forests. So it's all about numbers. This is a pure number game. and That's what my um, aim is to get us up there and make hunting a viable option for everyone here in Queensland.
2: Well Mark while you, while you've said that a comments just come in um saying from Nasir saying you guys have already helped many people like me so you, you it's working we're doing it Yeah
0: um thanks for that I can't see it because if I put my glasses on to see you I can't see
2: them so so thank you <clears throat> But yeah that's coming live that's on uh, no, on YouTube you. at the moment they're watching oh, okay. the live uh, stream at the moment so that's awesome thanks Nasir that's really awesome to hear I'm glad that you're getting some value out of what we're doing and you heard.
0: should probably explain that to John o. Yeah. about we're kind of we're we're all over the world here at the moment. Yeah, so
2: we're um, we're live streaming to Facebook, so and we're live streaming to the YouTube channel as well. So you can watch us on either platform. Um, you can also um, put comments in either on Facebook on the live message or on YouTube, uh, whichever platform you choose. This evening, uh, we'll see those comments and questions, uh, and we'll answer them to the best of our ability. So please keep them coming. Um, we we're here to share. Our knowledge, um, and if you've got some knowledge to impart on us, we're open
1: as well. Yeah, good stuff. All right, so we're going to, the format for this tonight, we're going to start off with questions that have been thrown at us already, which is great. Good to see some coming in. Um, They're general questions about the year, um, things that have been done, um, things that we've covered. And then if we've got some time afterwards, we'll do some more uh, NT discussion because we've obviously just come back from that. We've put a lot of content up about that, and there's a lot of questions that have come through too. So, Excuse my flu. First question. All right.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Off the back of uh, a podcast that we did with Gemma Dunn, uh, where we covered a lot of information about travelling. I think it was our pre-NT trip, and we, I think we were, we were asking Gemma about travelling with mm. firearms and ammunition That's and correct. That sort of stuff. Yeah. How did we find the experience of travelling with firearms, uh, and who did we end up flying with? Mark?
0: Okay. Right. Sure. Uh, so, we went with Virgin. Though, Johnny, you did you fly Jetstar as well? Or just?
2: no, I, I flew Virgin with you guys to Darwin, and I flew back yeah. with Qantas. Off Qantas, okay. Jetstar cancelled my flight and wanted me to fly <laughs> by Melden. <laughs> so no, yeah, Okay, so, yeah, so
0: that answers that question. So we flew with Virgin. Um, so the uh, and look, the firearms themselves um, as a. Package were um, a, an extra case, so we uh, b- had to book them all as, an, as extra luggage. Uh, everything had to be uh, secure in a, a, a firearm travel case, you know, Pelican, those type of things. So um, ammunition had to be separate. Um, you guys didn't take ammo. You, we got ammo in the Northern Territory. We had it
2: shipped up, but we had bolts in a locked case. I,
0: I took ammo, so, <laughs> so we took. Uh, some rifles with bolts removed and I actually took ammo as well and the ammo went in, went in a different bag again so the process itself was pretty simple with um, Virgin before we got to the airport I'll, I'll, I'll define that or clarify that online all that stuff was pretty simple yes we're going to take firearms and booked it in and things like that and uh, Ian I think even called them and said look we're coming here's our numbers ticket numbers and stuff like that when we got to the airport on the Sunday, the probably the first mistake we made was we thought that Sunday morning flying out of Brisbane would be you know pretty casual. It was crazy. There was literally hundreds and hundreds of people there lined up, and Virgin, you have to uh, go through that um, you know electronic ticketing type of activity before you get to the to the line. So we started doing that, and you got halfway through, and there's a question that says you know. Do you have you got you know, do you have any of these things? One of them is firearms. So we went bing, yes we got firearms yeah. and then it just says Stop, you have to talk to a person. So we went, okay. So we just flagged down the first person we saw who ended up being a guy called I think mean, his name was Wazza, which Waza, was was a mate of Which was even amazing more <laughs> amazing that Jono knew him <laughs> and John o wasn't even there at the time when we he and I were got there a bit early. So we got pushed to the, one of those, um, the NQs where, you know, people for whatever different reasons get to the jump the whole line. So we jumped the whole line and it was a big line and people were looking at us because there was like guys with surfboards looking at us. <laughs> with the, the you guys know, with the musical instruments. With <laughs> like, guns. With like guns or guitars type of things <laughs> like that. So we got through um, and we went through the process. There was a bit of, you know, it was just explaining and the weight checking and all that stuff. However, then what happened was, to our knowledge, uh known at the time, Virgin made an error where they're supposed to call someone up from baggage, and that person then escorts you down to the uh, oversized baggage area to check the, the, the firearms in on the plane we just walked down they just said go to oversized baggage so we walked down to oversized baggage and when we got down there oversized baggage said what are you walking around airport with guns for i said because you guys told us to do this Mm -hmm. so they then went up and started yelling at the people at the counter and that was quite funny And we came back and then they kind of pushed us to the front of the line of the oversized bagging baggage so it was gone they're on the plane at darwin it was a smaller area it was basically a secure cage we went to the secure cage we said that's our gear they went there it is and um yep we've just picked them up so it was pretty easy that way um in fact it, we kind of said that it was seemed to be a really good way of jumping lines to actually get up to the front of the queue to actually have it uh coming back from darwin was even even uh kind of crazier when we got to darwin we went to the. We went to the. Again, it was much quieter. Went to the um, to the check-in. The guy doing the check-in didn't really know. One of the the more uh, senior people took over, checked us in. That person then escorted us down to the cage, put him in the cage, and as we were walking back, Ian said, "Hey, can you get us through to the?" through the security check-in too and she went oh, okay sure so we went to the special line for the security check and then we jumped that line too and got through and we were you know we got up there pretty quickly so all in all flying with the um with the rifles was, was it a, was a pretty easy task mm. um you had to do a few yeah uh, you, you know a bit had to be prepared and you had to pack certain, uh, in a certain way but other than that there was no real issues and what they do is once the, the they're in the case and they've got the yellow tape on them, they're kind of like another object. They just mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And so there was no real problem. And walking, you know, we we didn't have any problems at all. So it was a, it wasn't a a, a difficult issue at all. I'm assuming that travelling overseas would be a wholly different issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, a different experience altogether. The whole, I
0: the, again, I I don't have an experience that I've hunted overseas a number of times, but I've never taken firearms. I've just used firearms in country. But um yeah, traveling interstate, and in fact, strange enough, I'm probably going to be hunting with Gemma early next year, and I'll be flying down to Sydney, so I'll be doing it again. So not a Basically, real problem. Piece of yeah, cake. One, yeah, just yeah. get just yourself get a good gun box. Get yeah. yourself a good gun box. Make sure it's for the um it. Because it's a bag itself, and it has the weight, the standard weight limits. Um, you know, you're not supposed to put things like in, like ammo and stuff in there. Well, that was questionable if you can or not. But I put like a fishing rod in there, and a few other bits and uh, you know bits and pieces. So I'd actually use it as a bag. It still only went like 14 kilos, so it was mm-hmm. way under. Um, you obviously can't put a lot in there because it's a single gun box. But I was able to put a number of things in there again, which made it a bit made it, made it a bit easier to uh, travel with it.
2: Well, I mean, with Ian, so so Ian had a, a, a double rifle case. We had my rifle and his rifle in there, and obviously that increased the weight, but it was not it was not an mm-hmm. issue at all. As long as yeah. you're careful about your weights, I think that's the important one, is just make sure you're not going to be over. If you think you are, book the extra bag because you can check in a firearm as sports equipment, but it counts towards your 20, 23 kilos, whatever they give you. Yeah, so yeah. if you've got another big heavy bag, just rather book an extra bag. And for the yeah, thing, you do might doing that up
1: front than it is doing it at absolutely. the Absolutely. That's and it. You got another – you're right, because sorry, man.
0: I, I think that's the, the real lesson is actually just kind of accept that it's kind of cost you 50 bucks extra and mm. book it and you've actually then got more room to play with and more yeah. things than trying to, trying yeah. to you know, make weight. You're actually now all of a sudden you're whatever, mm. 46 kilos. Yeah. And the other thing is to buy, I found the benefit of taking, a, a you know, a solid gum box is that then I used it all through the, the week we're in the NT. I used it as a brown mm. camp. When we had the when we were traveling all that distance and I was sitting in the back of the truck, they were secure. Yeah. It was actually just a really nice thing to have, rather than you know um, hundred Just, yeah. well, just, it. just a, a you know a bag that it would fit in normally. It was actually really good to have a proper gun box with me.
1: So hey, I'm going to move questions because there's quite a few and we'll burn a lot of time. Oh, yes, um, Frank, I've got, sure. I've got your questions. I can see them posted up. I'll get you in a sec. But there is a follow up to this one. I'm going to throw it to Jono. Um, I feel like I'm playing host here for a second. Um, Get on you. I'm going to throw yeah, to um, On the way back, and the reason I'm throwing this to you is because you had to deal with it. Mm. Trophy transport. It was a real problem when animals started hitting the ground, and we're looking at the size and the weight, of it was. skulls and <clears throat> uh, and and bone and horns and all of that sort of stuff. Do you want to run through um, how we managed? Uh, yes. Yeah, what, so what, was- what did we do with the trophies? in the NT, on the ground when we were hunting them, uh, what do we do to prep them and how did mm-hmm. we get them home?
2: Yeah, very good question. Um, obviously, once, I mean, I got my one down um, and then we, we we found the second one um, and we brought those horns back as well. And then obviously we didn't have any others. I know you picked up a set um, of, ca- of casties but from, from a dead animal. But on that last evening when you got one, Mark got one, um, we had a bit of a dilemma because we had, you know, a lot of weight and a lot of horn there um what we did is we um we actually chopped off as much bone as we could um so we're really just taking the skull cap not taking a whole big skull because it's just far too much weight um and then really giving those a good clean getting rid of all the gunk um you know getting rid of all the all we had really was the brain cavity and sort of the top of the the sinus i guess the nasal cavity cleaning out all of that meat all of that gunk all of the, the anything that's in there um just to try and reduce you know some of the um the, the juices and the smell that could potentially coming out of those, because some of them were starting to get a bit fruity. Um, we, um, we then wrap them in, we, 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 cut off as much bone as we could. Um, obviously trying to maintain still some aesthetics of the trophy that we wanted to keep. So I think, you you've got one that you kept where, you know, you put that bit of leather in the middle and all that looks absolutely great. I've done exactly the same. I think we all did the same. Um, but really get, get as much bone as you can. If you want to bring a whole skull back, you're looking at, you know, 30, 40 kilos and you just can't do that. Um, we then took those, um, skulls, we split them down the middle. So we had two individual pieces. Um, we wrapped them up in plastic, tons of gaffer tape, duct tape, whatever you want to call it around there, just really get it sealed in, um, so that you're not getting that smell and those juices coming through. And we did a bit of a, a juggling act of trying to work out which bag can we put them in? How can we juggle them with weight? Um, cause obviously we've got the, the weight limitations for the flight. Um, and we ended up having a expedition bag and Mark would stand there and hold it and he would stand on the scale on a standard kitchen scale, get the weight. And we would then add another one and see, are we in weight or we out of weight and, and just juggle it. And we actually ended up getting them all in a single expedition bag, all wrapped up, nicely taped up, nice and, you know, um, secure, I guess. Um, and I just checked that in as check baggage. Um, no questions asked, came through, popped out on the, uh, the carousel here in Brisbane and away we went. So it was actually pretty painless in my view. Um, I think it'd be a bit different had we shot that big, big, Bull that we saw that that first day i think we would have had a bit of a challenge but they were good representative animals um and you know so glad to have taken one like that um yeah. you know also have yeah. taken a bar. It was pretty seamless
1: i wonder what it would have been like if uh if you declared that that's what was in the bag when you checked it in whether it would have been an eyebrow raised or i, I don't think know it what it might have policies been are, but, um <laughs> it was pretty funny and then we met up mm-hmm. with you at the airport at the other end and did a bone I'm just swap. did it yeah, exactly. A, a, it was a, actually and
0: ri- bone, and bone and rifles in a yeah. gaffa <laughs> yeah. in,
1: in a dodgy um,
2: car, airport car park um, transaction that no, Look, it, it, it might have seemed on the outside to be dodgy, but it was actually pretty, you know, pretty legitimate um, yeah. and very seamless actually. Um, yeah, and I good. certainly do the same thing again. Uh, expedition bag, awesome investment, not just for carrying trophies, but the dust there in the NT is just yeah. something else. You've yeah. got to have an, a good expedition bag that seals up Absolutely. They're a godsend. I think next time I'm actually going to pack an extra one all folded up just so that, you know, if we need to bring more trophies back or something, we got them.
0: I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to put the smaller one in the bigger one Mm. and carry the big one. And if we need it, then we've got a spare one. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, the one that I've got actually packs down pretty small. So you can have it flat packed. You don't actually have have to expand it out. Um, and you can get 80 litre, you know, 120 litres, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, it's it just was a big, having it a, a very minutes. big
1: part of the planning yeah. bags. who's got what, how many bags mm. we've got, how many we've paid yeah. for, how are we going to get everything home? <laughs> it was a, it was a bit of a challenge. All right, we'll move a
2: on. A, well, just the last one on that was in the, uh, I, I think something, if you're going to take, if you're going to go to the NT NTN Hunt Buffalo or wherever you're going to go, take a luggage scale. I think that was oh, yeah. a yeah. valuable piece of equipment that we didn't have. And luckily, we managed to get one in the hotel. Um, But if you've got one of those little compact luggage scales, where you can weigh your bags, and you can, you know, you can juggle stuff around, because we were standing in in Brian Boyle's shed. um, And, you know, Mark was standing on a kitchen scale, it wasn't the most accurate. And look, we went far off. um, But it would certainly make life a lot easier to take a little compact luggage scale with you and weigh your bags. I think that's a really important piece of kit because you don't you want to get to the airport you don't want to have any issues with weight and obviously you could get someone to check in who's you know nice and helpful and friendly and is is not um you know is not going to challenge you on that you could get someone who is is a complete asshole and goes completely the opposite and you're one kilo over and you know you can't take your buffalo horns out because you want to take them home with you so yeah but it's, it's going to cost you a fortune rather take a you know 20 buck luggage scale that you can buy from kmart or wherever and weigh those bags before you get to the airport i think that's really important mm-hmm.
1: yeah very good okay, okay. Harry, i am turning. turning i'm turning to youtube <laughs> because we've got questions over here on youtube uh oh, first okay. one first one's from frank, frank. <laughs> hey frank. frank good to have you back mate um And Frank joined us for one of our hunts down in um, Nundle this year, so it's good to have you there and thanks for hanging in with us, mate. Um, First question was, uh, where did you go for your first state forest hunt and were you successful in getting anything, Mark?
0: I'm thinking. uh, It was Nundle, Nundle, because I'd hunted the raw in the Brisbane Valley and then I went from the Brisbane Valley and did uh, the, the end of the fallow rut. Yeah. Nando, um, pigs. Got pigs? Three of them.
3: That's in your book.
0: Hmm? 800 metres from camp. Uh, wow. uh Took a speculator on a deer, missed it, and... Um, literally walked up on a buck without realising it and went, oh, there's a buck right there. And mm. as soon as that wonderful tikka metallic bolt action went click, click, it, boing, mm. that buck was gone. So, yeah, so I've never taken pigs and deer at the same time at Nundle. It's either been huh. one or the other. And it, again, okay. and it happened this time again. It's either pigs or deer, pigs or deer. Mm. So, yeah, the first... Animals at of state forest. So that year, I hunted Nundle, and then I hunted Pillager at Christmas, New Year, and I got goats. I got that a nice Billy um, just before the New Year, and then the, early the next year, I hunted Severn. So that that yeah, would have been Nundle would be the first one. Nice.
1: And a gen- and a follow up question, and just a quick follow up question. Over the years that you've been state so forest hunting, um success percentage in,
0: uh, the, in the I've, I've never not been successful in a state forest pretty damn good,
1: it's pretty it's good. Not. Go. and have you seen have you seen um a change in numbers or is it pretty much you started you were seeing animals to the start you're still seeing animals now you're finding more and more
0: so um with, I, I've hunted Severn a lot I haven't hunted it as much for the last couple of years but I hunted Severn pretty hard for 10 years and at the beginning it was like get out of my way goats <laughs> and then it went quiet and you know people said oh well, it's probably getting shut down lots of shooting but I actually reckon in real terms it probably had more to do with the climate and the drought and drying up and the way that uh, Severn changed so dramatically, so I it did see a dip in numbers, but I'm wondering if what we're what what we've just experienced over the last couple of years is going to see those numbers come up again. Mm-hmm. Hold that So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if it was um, people or climate. I'm kind of leaning more towards it was a climate.
1: I want to come back to that because we got a question that covers that off as well. John, sure. oh, your first your first state forest hunt.
2: My first state forest was Nundle. The first time um, I met mean, you down there, Ian, actually? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so well, Nundal was my yeah. first first ever state forest hunt. It was actually um, the first um, time I had hunted in Australia since I had moved from the UK. Um, so I had done, um, I've hunted here, I've hunted some goats before, but that was on private land, never um, public land. So this was, um, but that was, I wasn't living here then. So this was my first hunt. Um, and I went down to Nundal, didn't know what to expect. Um, completely um yeah completely newbie to, to safe forest hunting. Um got a lot of advice from yourself and the other guys who went down with the um with the ADA trip on that one. Um I wasn't successful, didn't take an animal, saw animals. Um I was with a mate who was completely new to hunting um and had an opportunity on them but he was far too slow. Um so it wasn't that there was a lack of opportunity there was. There was animals there. It was just it was completely new experience and I was trying to help him watch him I'd never hunted with him before, so you know, wasn't sure about his gun skills, etc. So I was obviously very cautious. And um, yeah, but uh, had an awesome trip. Went back the following year, of course. Um, but no,
1: Nundle, love that place down there. <laughs> I've actually Nundal has, N- has a way of dragging you back. I have it to does. Say. I, I, had a, I had a
2: yeah. I had a big um, a big gap between. I've been there three times, the second and third trip, um, and actually I've been to Nundal three times, as I said, and I've never been successful there.
1: All right, my first day forest hunt was Severn. I um, covered this way back in one of our first podcasts. I'd spoken to Mark without knowing who Mark was at the time, and he pointed me in the direction of Severn. And I remember getting out, had the Severn sign on the dirt road, being so happy uh, that I'd finally found somewhere that was public land that I could hunt, coming from New Zealand, moving to Queensland. Uh, I got out to that sign and did a big air jump in the air and, you know, got myself <laughs> with a big selfie. I was so ecstatic. Um, and yeah, I, we took goats and pigs at Severn on that first trip. And uh, as much as that place is booked out and various parks that we talk about are really booked out, they still produce. So, anyway, <coughs> next question. And um, next one from, was from Frank as well. And I'll just cover this one off back around um, uh, state public land. If you could turn back time to where you first started public land hunting, what would you do differently? Mark.
0: Nothing. Um, I, I know it's not that's not uh, uh, that informative, but philosophically, it's it's all it's always a learning curve. I I, I remember my first date hunt at Nundal. I remember exactly what happened. I remember what I was learning. I was walking along, and uh, now it's it's a big learning curve. Mm. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to change it because I might not learn what I learnt. So. Mm. That's, that's
1: it good.
2: John? yeah look for myself obviously i said i've been to Nundal three times and i've not taken anything i'll still continue to go back um what would i change well what do I, you know i would i would be a lot more patient i wouldn't um you know when i first went to Nundal, it was all about getting all over the park and it's a huge park get let's go look at this area let's look at that area look here instead of looking for sign, finding the animals and then working that area um we were just trying to cover as much ground as we could and not actually, you know, focusing on the on, on, on the on the sign itself. That's that's what I've taken away from hunting, especially state forest. When you find sign, you find animals. Um you've got to find yeah. that sign first, not just cover as much ground as you can. Yeah, don't leave game to mm-hmm.
1: find game is a good motto. Correct. Right. Uh, yeah, correct. I've got a completely useless answer to Frank, and that is I wish I'd found it earlier. If I could go back in time, I'd like to find state forest hunting earlier because Man, there's, there's just so much land to cover there, and um, I want more time in the bush. So hopeless answer for you. It's not giving you any tips, but that's, that's mm. how it goes. Um, Big Willie, back from New Zealand after taking a tar. He won, oh, a, wow. ba- he won a trip from the Hunter's Club that we oh, okay. often see on yeah. social. Flew to oh, – I'm going to get most of this wrong. Flew to the South Island. From what I see, at that point, his trip kicked in, jumped on a helicopter, flew up into the Alps, shot a 13-inch full tar wow, and uh, and another one for meat. So good on you, mate. Congratulations. Can't wait to get mm-hmm. you on and talk a bit more about that. But yes. Big Woody's question. It? Yeah, Sorry, Johnny.
2: No, go for it. Yep.
1: What time of the day is the best time to hunt goats? Do they have habits or is it a fairly random uh, thing that they get up to? Uh, I want to go first on that and then I'll let Mark's um, – long years of wisdom, give you a real answer. <clears throat> I like hunting goats because of the gentleman's, gentleman's game. They don't really get up early and they don't go to bed. Like They, they, they don't get up early. They're up all day. Um, they sleep at the same hours that we do typically. They make stupid amounts of noise and you can call them in. If you find kids on the ground, you can bleat at them and they'll come over and their mum will come over and the yearling will come over. You shoot it and all your friends come over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think... If you can understand their, their watering patterns, whether they're feeding to or away from water, usually that happens early in the morning, earlier in the morning, but after the sun's up, and then later again in the afternoon, you're gonna find goats. It's such a good game to chase. Love it. Oh yeah. I love <laughs> goats.
0: Yeah, look. After a few years at Severn, so we used to, we, we called them bankers hours. We used to say, you know, People go, oh, what time you go? Well, we don't really need to leave till about 8.30. You know, I'll be right. And that was it. They seemed, I we seemed to shoot gates between nine and three. And as I said, we used to just call it bankers hours, you know, like that's what banks used to be at once upon a time. It was like that. So there was no need for early starts. There wasn't need to chase them through into the evening. Basically, you would see gates between nine and three. So as long as you're out, Early enough, so you you know you weren't leaving, but you're out there, you're on the ground, and you and you were moving around, and you were settled. You'd see them sometime around eight, from eight thirty onwards. And I mean, because they'd be moving, you might just see them beforehand, either bedded up or holding up. But around that time, you'd actually see them moving. So again, they were so much easier to see, so there was movement. You'd see the white moving through the um, moving through the trees. There's a couple of rules that we came up with goats. One of them was um, a rule I picked up from Adrian. He used to call it the two smokes rule. He said if you got on the goats and you shot and you shot a couple, just sit down uh, for the period it would take, you know, to have two smokes. If you had a, if you smoked, you know, you say you, you don't pursue them. You'd sit down, you'd take care of the the kill, and then you'd move up, follow them up, and by that time they'd probably resettled again and then you'd be on them, and you could pursue a mob like that for a period of time. It was a, the two smokes rule. The other one is shoot the white ones last.
2: Tell you where the other ones are.
0: Don't shoot the ones that tell you where all the other ones are. So once you see a white goat, and that's why when I'd ever take people goat hunting the first time, they'd usually shoot white goats, and we'd say, okay, you've got it, one. Next time, don't shoot that one because hmm. that one is telling you where all the odds are. Yeah. The third rule is: billies don't tend to have any concern about the welfare of any other goats. So if there's a <laughs> Billy with them, with a mob and the shooting starts, that Billy will disappear. It won't. Yeah, you don't care. The, the goats seem to be matriarchal, though. You know they'll yeah. hurt around the, the major. The, you know the, mm-hmm. the nanny seems to run the mob. So if you are coming across a mob of goats and you want to take them, if you take the big nanny out first, they all. That's it. They, they fall apart, they don't, you know, they'll mill around, they won't. The billies will go, they'll disappear, they'll zip off. And in fact, I've observed, often observed billies not actually with the mob, they're just kind of off. Mm. They're in the tree line and they're a little bit off. So if you if you see a mob of goats and it's that time of the cycle when the the billy is around the, 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 the mob, just see if you can see him in the trees look look for horns look for something that's laying down look for a horizontal shape in the scrub look around because there's probably a billy just hanging off somewhere like that so i've mm. seen lots of habit Seen them in dif- all sorts of different conditions um in different areas you know in pilliger um one year we were in pilliger and they were they were only on sand country you only saw them in, in the sand uh, other times I haven't seen him in the sand at all. Uh, rocks is always oh. a good, always a good, op- rocks are always a good place to check out. So, you know, rock structures, stone structures, if you see rocks, if you see a rock escarpment, go check it out. Mm. The other thing too, if you're hunting a state forest and it's a, one of the ones that holds goats and there's been any clear felling, as close as you can get to that clear felling, you know, without moving into an exclusion zone, they love those trees that are on the ground.
3: Because they can then pick feed. them. Yeah, yeah, they
0: pick them. So I remember the first goat I shot was in an area that had just been clear felled. It's, it's actually marked down in Pilliga when they when they knocked it over because they actually marked the year when they knocked things over. It was 2009. And um, I took one, in, and at the time it was just clear felled. And they, they were literally just amongst the big trees feeding on the pick. That was obviously unavailable to them until the trees got dropped so lots of stuff about goats um you'll see them you know usually they'll have a a nanny will have uh if they're in with the kids there'll be two youngins and generally a one juvenile like a in-between range so there's like two generations if they're like that um everything will clump around that nanny so that mm. nanny is run, running everything. If you stick with that nanny, that
2: you've got that mob.
1: Don't know, any experiences from you?
2: Oh, for me, I was always in the beginning, let's get out as early as we can, um, and didn't see any goats. So once we started following that bank, the bankers hours, mm-hmm. um, it certainly improved the, um, the success rate on the goats. But for me... I love rocks i like climbing those rocks, and, I, love rocks. Um, oh, I love rocks um and so when, yeah I, I love checking out those rocky escarpments and always find goats or goat sign so i know we found that one escarpment that we climbed mark when we we found those goats on them we climbed up there and it was just goat sign oh, everywhere no, it was just a goat yeah goat factory up there um right. and so definitely yeah check out those um those rocky escarpments but the other thing as well is you've got to listen um I think you've got to you, you can use sound a lot to find them um mm-hmm. so we, mm. we were when we were in Severnia during the airmark we were we use sound to find that that small mob yeah um, that's how we found them was through sound so they were you know they're not they're not like deer which are very quiet they you know they don't make a noise unless it's the raw they're sitting there bleeding away they're, they're stupid yep. things that, and um so use that when you hear them walk towards them. And generally they're on their way to water. You could probably cut them off or they're coming back from water, heading up to the, to the high country. So you can cut them off. And that's what we did. Um, so yeah, look, listen for them and, and try and find those areas that, you know, they got a drink. We went down, what first light that on that one, um, that one down there in Severn, Mark looking for a pig. And we, uh, we heard one, which at the time we didn't know was a, was a, was a, a goat, which just made some funny coughing noise, but, um, turned out it was a Billy. Cause we, we found that out later, didn't we? Yeah,
0: well, that was really interesting, that, and that's another thing, is always learning. Um, we were on, on water on first light, and it was—it was, it sounded like there was someone over that had a smoker's cough, yeah. literally. And we were just going, what is that sound? I'd never heard that before, ever. And there were some weird sounds in Savannah. There was a rooster in there somewhere. <laughs> literally, we could hear him. And uh, I don't even know how it survived, but we could hear it. But there was this cough, and later on, we were, uh, we'd just taken three goats, and all of a sudden, we hear the cough again, <laughs> yeah. and turn around and says, bloody Billy coughing at us. Yeah, so He went so, down as well, but that's yeah. it. So sound is a really important thing. There was a point, there was a place in Severn that you could literally sit up. It was a high, it's, it was, it's overgrown now, so you can't really see off it. But for a long time, it was clear and you could sit there in the morning and just hit and eventually go, oh, they're over there. I can hear them. Mm-hmm. All right,
1: I'm moving. We're moving back to the NT. Yeah, there's a lot um, of questions yeah. coming in
2: about the NT, mate. So yeah. sure, cool.
1: Sarah, if, you've, if you're still with us, we'll, we'll hit some of your questions now. Um, first one, is buffalo a declared pest in the NT? Yes, it is, according to the NT.gov.au site that I managed to Google while we were listening. Um, <laughs> it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a pest up there declared by the NT government. Um, so uh, you can hunt them all round, all year round, although you'll struggle to hunt them all year round because half mm. the land that they're on is underwater. Uh, during the wet season so good luck um Mm -hmm. a follow-up question to that from somebody else uh where are you dave um was when did we hunt we hunted the last couple of days of august and the first week of september September. (laughs) and it was a great time um the only thing that i've heard different to that is it gets harder to hunt as the build-up comes in, and we were on the really early part of the build-up. Yeah, there was literally one or yeah.
2: two days into build-up.
1: Yeah. The best yeah. hunting time um, I've heard is maybe a month later than what we went because it's hotter, the water is dried up more, and it brings the buffalo in uh, to a more condensed sort of area. Yeah. You still got to find them, though. So Yeah. <laughs> it's um, a lot of, kind of country to come was incredibly hard, um, but once you did, you found the life of course. So, um,
2: that well, was... Yeah. Well, on that one, it, it actually isn't the next question saying any tips on finding buff solo. So talking about oh, water.
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah. Yeah. Go for
2: it. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it took us a few days to sort of understand the patterns, but, you know, we would go from billabong to billabong looking for, for, um, for water or for sun. Uh, and on most of those billabongs, they were dry. Um, the ones that held some water, obviously the animals would come in, in to drink um but they weren't hanging around that they were they were moving off that water uh except for mark where mark had one that was actually lying in the water so True. um it just shows you that you've got to be ready at any opportunity and you know when you see it you just got to go from bellabong to billabong um that's all you can do um look for sign and you might get lucky and find one in there just on some of those billabongs watch out for the crocs.
0: yeah I, oh. i've given it some thought and i've given it a lot of thought in a way Hunting a buff is the same as hunting any other animal in, in, in terms of you're looking for sign, but what you have to decide is, is this sign an indicator that there is animals about, or is this sign telling me there is animal here? Mm. And that's different. So like when when I was hunting with Brian, the first thing we did was we, we, we started looking for water. So we basically cut in the scrub 2Ks and then turned into the wind, and we heard these black cockatoos and we moved towards the black cockatoos. They weren't on the water, but they in, they let us know there was water about. And then we started finding water. And so you, we were following game trails, you know, and buff, as you can imagine, a buffalo makes a fairly significant game trail, you know, and there was old buffalo turds and stuff like that. So it was like saying, well, there is buffalo in this area or has have been in this area, but then when... It changed when we went. Oh, they're here, and that was because all of a sudden we found sign that was so fresh. It was like they're we're, we're they're somewhere here, and literally, I don't know if I could smell the buffalo or as I could smell the buffalo turd. I don't know, but I remember. You know, I just for went, a It's up there, you know. It's like bang, there is something here. It's it's not like oh, it's a bit whiffy. No, there is something right here. So first thing I th- and you know and again when I think about it um the sign told us exactly what was happening so we were on a buffalo track and there was water about and there was two different sized turds and so and there was two buffalo and a different size and imagine that so bang then we just got this smell went holy moly there's something here you know and you think about it it's it's a wild beast and it's big it stinks and then we found, I found a, a, just a, a, a puddle in the sand or the dirt and I put my hand on it and water came up out of that. I went, okay, it's they're just here somewhere. So mm. something something has just done a pee in 30 plus degree heat in, in dirt and it's still holding water. So it's just here. And again, and, and literally within 30 seconds we saw them. So yeah. it's that kind of bringing that picture together finding old sign to say okay we're in an area that holds animals and then refining it and getting more and more pointers going okay we've gone from knowing there's animals here to knowing we are in the presence of an animal
1: yeah i found the same thing the very first day that we were there we're exploring exploring a creek bed and i came across a buffalo turd and i was pretty excited about it but it was as hard as a brick Mm. right but that didn't matter that just told me there were buffalo there and and throughout the week we were piecing together the sign and, you know, we didn't know what their habits were really. We were, we were guessing a lot and we were piecing that puzzle together over the week. And then I found what I thought was the, a really nice, fresh sign. One of the videos I was talking to Matt about it, he was saying, yeah, it's a couple of hours old. Um, I thought, okay, well, it's a couple of hours old. That's what that feels like. Yeah. Uh, and then when we found some really fresh stuff, it was like, okay, like mm. this is falling to bits. It's almost slopping down the sides of its own... You know, own walls, and um, yeah, n- going back now after seeing all of that, I think we'd be able to analyze a lot of that information, and mm, definitely, and, you know, and put ourselves in the right place a lot quicker. But that's part of the fun, right? Mm. That's right. That's like yeah. That
0: morning when we crossed that track, and we, you know, we literally crossed buffalo. Tr- buffalo had crossed our track within eight hours because yeah. we'd walked on that road the night before, and we found print on top of our print, so that said, okay. Something has come through here, and then we, we, unfortunately, it was a sign of poachers, and then we went, hang mm. on, that vehicle track, that's a different track. It's been turned around. Something's turned around there. That's weird. We mm. went up right, and then we saw the birds and went up, and there was a buffalo, and it was still bleeding, so it was only dead a couple of hours at the most.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Nasir, the second part of your question, are there state forests in the Northern Territory where we can hunt this will answer Dave's question on um, access as well. Um, there is a, I forget what they've called it. Backcountry, backcountry Backcountry.
0: I've got a backcountry license. Yep.
1: So there's a backcountry. Well, there you go. You want to follow that through then, Mark?
0: So there is a there is public land hunting um, in the Northern Territory. It's um, different to public land hunting, and say in New South Wales or Victoria, in that. To hunt public land in the Northern Territory, you have to hunt with a resident. So you need to build contacts of someone up there who will hunt with you, who's a resident and who has the public land license. But the license itself is dead easy to get. You know, there's no issue with that, and allows you to go. It's 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 uh it's not as uh, I suppose the op- the 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 various they're not forests but the spaces. Are not as plentiful as say in Victoria and New South Wales, but there is certainly public land hunting up there. And there's a couple of guys on YouTube who specialise in doing some really nice uh, getting public land animals in the northern Northern Territory, pigs and buffalo. So yep, you can do it. it takes a bit of planning and a, a bit of um, uh, you know getting on getting on a getting onto a, a club or something like that, and making some connections. But you can certainly do it for uh, for, for a public land price.
1: Uh, Brian Boyle, who um, we've had on the podcast as well, who ran that program, he's only just left the NT. He's now back in New South Wales. Mm. But um, he ran that for a while. Uh, What he said to me was, um, yes, you have to hunt with a resident, as Mark said, um, but he said if you gave um, the public land hunting, hunting, the backcountry hunting people a call, or you contacted them on Facebook, um, they would tee you up with someone that had a licence up at the NT. He said it would be very rare... That they couldn't find someone to help you out and get you onto that public land. Uh, it's Glitchfield National Park that they've got access yep. to or part of it. It's a big park. It has some great success in it. So, mm. um, yeah, don't let uh, access to, to you. Um, get onto that website, ask the questions, and, and get up there and have a crack at it. Mm. Um, so, you know you don't need an R licence, but you need their licence. Um it's and not it too dissimilar from the, from
2: the it's not dissimilar from the old arson's from when I to Brian. Tonight. But it's it's it's, it's also focusing on water management, hydration mm-hmm. and things it's like that because it's it's, it's not, completely not completely not different different conditions. a completely different industry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot yeah. more self awareness type training as well. Yeah. Or yeah. education. Um, um, um I was gonna say on that one, Dave also asks, how did the uh the nine point six two put the buff down? Um for me, yeah. it worked really, really well. Um it was a great calibre. You need it, no? Because yeah, you had some awesome success with the uh, with that BRX.
1: Yeah, yeah. The 306 did a great job, um, but I I was lucky enough to punch one straight through the front of his chest and into his heart, and he didn't really want to go anywhere after that. He was also a smaller buffalo. He was not mm-hmm. a king bull buff. Um, he was he was a, a, a juvenile, I was probably only a year year to two years old, so um, he didn't take as much lead. Um, Mark, you had a different experience? Hmm.
0: Yeah, look. Um, I The first buff I shot, shot it in the head and it was dead. Didn't even, it literally just deflated. Um, so, yeah, perfect. And then the second buff that I didn't see busted from cover. And then that changed the game all, that changed very different. That was very different. I, I had to shoot that thing because um, it was moving at speed and um, it was big. Um, so, the nine point three was was was. I, I was glad to have the nine point three. I, I was glad to have a heavy 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 hitter. Um, though I was shooting two fifty grain barns which is actually technically a bit light for nine point three. Mm-hmm. Nine point three is generally run a. I think it's two eighty six. That's kind of the standard That's what I was shooting. Line. The SMB two eighty six. That's, that's a really good round. That SMB. The reason I went for the for the Barnes in two fifty was it's a bit flatter out to two hundred. So I, cause I wanted to take a gun that I could use on everything. So, you know, I just wanted a, an NT gun, so pigs, donkey, whatever it is. So I wanted to have a little bit more a different ballistics than you might want for something purely for buffalo. Um, so I wanted a bit more legs, uh, but that's it. it. They certainly worked. It, you know, it's a, it, well, it's not on the wall. It's, it's on top of the garage shed, still drying out, getting the fat out of, <laughs> out of the bones, but it worked. Um, the other thing about the nine point three is, it's a mild gun. Mm, uh, you know, the recoil is very mild. Bad, yeah, yeah, you know, it's not. It's no, it's not. It's
1: mild. No, it's not. Don't listen to these two. I, I shot their rifle at the range uh, but... and it really took my arm off. No, I, I, I really enjoyed that 9.3. Easy actually. peasy, easy peasy, yeah. easy.
2: Yeah. I, um, easy peasy. I've actually, I, I'm going on a hunt tomorrow, rifle. so I was getting the rifle out and I got, and I'm taking my 308, my Tikka 308, and I got the 308 rounds out, and they feel like good old 22s in my hand after holding the 9.3. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Look, I. I, I I can't speak high enough of the nine point three. I think it's a great all rounder, mm-hmm. and that's a terrible thing to say because it's it's an almost you know it's almost an impossibility. But up up there, it was, it's a great all round caliber. It will it'll knock everything that's up there because the stuff up there is big. Mm-hmm. The pigs are big. I because well, for a, for example, when the guy said you're going to shoot a donkey, I went oh, really you know, and I thought I well, I thought literally you know those things that they put kids on it. Fed, you know, <laughs> around a paddock i was thinking it, about something yeah, you know, yeah, it, it was yeah, like yeah. a big labrador no it was not a donkey the case. Up there is yeah. is a big animal it's yeah. kind of like more far more horse-like than yes. donkey-like or yeah. what i thought was donkey. Mm. big animal uh, swallow you know, some lead as well big animal swallow some lead mm. um and that's what people have always said they said them donkeys are tough and i went really How can yeah. I you know but no it it's a big animal mm. um the pigs up there are big yeah. <laughs> They're <laughs> real big um uh, you know, Ian shot two pigs, and both of them. Well, one was a Godzilla, and but the other one, you'd be very, very happy if you shot that in or else. It, it kind of looks smaller compared to the, the, the first one, mm. but it was a big animal. So, the nine point three would be a great. And again, we were shooting within a hundred meters, so mm. Mm. having the running the, the you know the two eighty sixes would be a really good uh, a two eighty six with a very stout projectile would be a really good option. Yeah, I think next, and trip. every man needs a safari gun. Okay, that's mm. it. Everyone needs a safari gun.
2: Yeah, yeah I think next, next triple buff, because I'm hooked. I don't know about you guys. But um, I'm going to stick to the uh, the 9.3 with 286s. I think I might change the projectile potentially to something a bit more um, robust. I mean, there's nothing mm. wrong with those SMBs. They were great. Um, but yeah, I think I'll stick to those 286s that perform perfectly on on the ones that I took. Yeah, um, put them down. I mean, still yeah. took three shots, um, but they put them down. Yeah, mm.
1: I was lucky enough to be using the uh, the BRX from Beretta, the new platform that the, the team at Beretta lent us for the trip, which was just unreal. And if you don't know the rifle, um, it's a straight pull action. Um, it's it's very um, uh, modular, like all of the components just click out. Um, you can, you know, dial down the trigger weights. You can do all sorts of things with it. But it, um, it's rumored to be coming out with uh, a 9.3 by 62 barrel. Mm. It's interchangeable barrels. Mm. So um, to be able to have that in 30.06 and also take up uh, the 9.3 barrel will make for a very interesting trip next time because it should be out by the time we head up to the NT again. Mm. Um, and watch this space. It's a fun it's – a, it's, a, it's a great rifle. Mm. Yeah. And and I the can only see,
0: downside was a, the 9.3 was um, magazine size is quite small.
1: Yeah, as you found out, you had a bit of feed, yeah. feeding issues, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. That's right. The other but downside to it is uh, 9.3 by 66 is something similar, isn't it, John? It is very very <laughs> is, similar. Yeah,
2: but they, they don't work with each other, unfortunately. So, no. Yeah. Um,
1: fair so unfortunately, we, uh, we we were unlucky not to take a pig on the uh, first because- morning didn't realize that they were different rounds. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and um,
0: fortunately, it was a pig not a buffalo
2: yeah. <laughs> coming <laughs> and out. And one that was coming around coming at us. That's yeah. it. it yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a piece on that. Um, um, watch the space that watch the channel, there's a video coming out about that where I where I show that. Um, because yeah, it was a was an interesting, um, I suppose incident that we had there, we, we had an opportunity yeah. on a pig and something so minor as you know, 9.3 by 62 or 9.3 by 66 6 can actually have a big impact and could be a potentially dangerous um, scenario. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, there'll be a, a video coming out about that. So
1: yeah, and Frank, um, um, straight up with your question: Did I enjoy using the aim point? I loved it. I loved it. Um, look, there was a time, there was a situation on our first um, encounter with Buffalo where I started to think that I wish I had a scope because <laughs> hmm. they were at distance, and you know, I was humming and ahring about it. Uh, but the 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 speed of the straight pull and the aim point on that BRX. awesome and Mm -hmm. uh, yes I may not have um, uh, kept it at shoulder and cycled those rounds as fast as I should have Dave um, but instinct made me drop it and look Mm -hmm. and put it back up again, it was still quick Um, I really enjoyed it the the quick target acquisition with the aim point brilliant, Um, I really wouldn't want to change a thing um
2: well Dave's just dropped in just talking about those 286s um grains he said 286 woodley hydros under 100 meters um, so that'll be that'll be deadly that's uh that's a, that, that'll be awesome hopefully the uh the woodley guys have got their factory back up and running and we can get some of those rounds Damn. because obviously they have the fire up there um he also says 306 awesome caliber um I guess it, is. <laughs> yeah um we're jumping around a little bit so is asking um about some of the state forest stuff so um let's jump into one of those quickly um he's just said uh would you consider Tugalo a productive state forest I saw yes. a few deer in Tugalo yes. concentrated so yep I've never been to yes. Tugalo so yeah actually I have uh, been to Tugalo I
0: got I I, I, I can't, uh mm. I shot the first deer I've shot with my eldest son, just him and I, so he's been hunting for a few years and it's always been with a group of adults. Him and the first deer that him and I, just him and I,
2: got together this year,
0: Tugalo. Okay.
2: Yeah, I, I like have yeah. been a Tugalo, very wet, very muddy, but it's a beautiful forest. Yep.
1: It's an mm. awesome steep country down there. Um, there's rumours of some very large... Uh, animals down in the steep country that you've got to walk all the way through to get to some French farmland. Um, yep. Yeah, I would persevere there. I've seen some great animals in there. In fact, uh, since I'm such a nice guy, hit me up after this and I'll throw you a spot or two to go and explore. Yep. Um, I've got a couple that are worth looking at.
3: Cool.
0: Yeah, we, we did the opposite. We just drove in there and uh, as soon as we came through the, the front gate, um, turned the first track that appeared was on the left, Turned down that, drove to a place that was, because it was wet, found a place, this was a place we could park, you know, safely park, parked up, and just started walking. We, we, just, walked the, we just walked the tracks, across, did some cross-country between the tracks, and um, in fact, the deer was stand, literally standing at the car waiting when we came back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and on that, is November, December a good time to hunt in Nundal or tuggalo um i've not i've only been there in winter i'm not sure about summer there is no such
0: time as a bad time but except, you know
1: except except
0: <laughs> except, except a, a fire or rain but if i i would not i'd i'd hunt i'd hunt uh Nundle that time of year um you know you, you're legally allowed to hunt deer then so there's no issue with that um you know there'll be, there'll be deer on the ground there'll be Everything will still be there. Um, they won't be rutting. They'll be have different behaviours because it's summer. Uh, it might concentrate them a little bit more around water, depending on what, what the year turns out like in terms of, you know, with the rain or, and so on. But I would most definitely go um, hunting. I, I actually would like to hunt Nundle in summer. I reckon it would be a really good experience. Mm.
1: Yeah. I think... Um... Um, it does concentrate them more around water. And mm. late November, early December is when they're going to drop their fawns. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have um, heavily pregnant does or hinds um, that are going to be closer to water because they don't like moving as much when they're full pregnant. Um, so there's, there's that. The, the other consideration is that if you're going in December then they're likely to have fawns on the ground. So just be careful. Mm, but nice. you're likely to find mum with a fawn and a yearling so you know, if you're concerned about knocking over mum and leaving an orphaned fawn, um, then um, yeah. look for those yearlings that are with mum still, because they typically will be. Um, mm. Would be my only thing, and uh, be careful about water. It can get damn hot in, there and in the summer. And, but and and, and the
0: bucks will be and the bucks will be together.
1: Mm. Yep.
0: The bucks. Uh, in fact, when I was down there in July, we saw a, a bachelor mob. Is they're, they're already starting to mob back up, so the bucks will be together. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have cast, they'll, they'll be forming, they'll be... Um,
2: so, yeah. And also, um and in the summer will is, be there. is good. I mean, uh, it's hot out there, but, I mean, I was in the Peliger this time a few years ago, um, so getting on to November, it's hot, but um, it's great hunting. You've done yep. uh, Peliger, what, December, January, Mark?
0: Uh, I... To me, oh, look, I've I've hunted pillager throughout the year, um, you know, for a reason. because I wanted to see what it was like through the year. So I've hunted it in dead winter, and it's it is cold in there. Oh. <laughs> and um, I've hunted it in uh, you know late January, forty degree plus days, and it's really really hot in there. And storms can be very violent and very quick. Um, however, the animals are still there. Mm. They don't, you know, they don't. Go to Bali for, the, for whatever they they're still there. Uh, they just you just they're they like every animal. The the conditions are, the prevailing conditions control how they their behaviour. So uh, I've been in uh, Pilliga when it's just after rain and it's quite hard to find animals because it's such a big place. You know, and there's a million little puddles of water on the ground so they can water anywhere. I've also been there and the, when it's you know drought when. They just can't, they don't leave the water. So if you can get onto the water quietly, they're there.
1: Yeah. Another question on state forest hunts. Um, over the years that you've been hunting in state forest, have you found those forests have changed much?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll go first because um, I did two years in Nundal. My first two trips to Nundal were back to back, and then I had a, a five or a six year gap, um, and the forest was completely different areas where I remember driving down the track, it was now open country, all the, the, <clears throat> the blocks had been completely cleared, excuse me. <clears throat> um, there were roads that used to be there that were now sort of impossible. Um, the, the, the country looked completely different. Um, it was it was remarkably different. We need to remember that these forests are they're active forests, you know, they're, they're forestry operations that are taking place, they've got a plan in place for the forestry. Um, so there's going to be areas areas that get cleared, replanted, um, so expect them to change. And just because there was an area that you found you know, last year or five years ago that was good, it's not going it potentially might not be there. Um, and, you know, there's because of those logging operations, you know, there's often uh, a lot of exclusion zones, areas that I, I, I see severe, there's a huge exclusion in there. So they must be pretty, pretty active in the forest at the moment. So yes, those forests do change. Definitely.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, they get changed by human behaviour. So, you know, forestry operations, um, I once we're in the Pilliger and they were doing the survey for the inland rail. So that you know that kind of changed it, mm. that created all these really weird little exclusion zones. I remember that one. Yeah, strange exclusion zones. Um, forestry activity, you know, most definitely. Then you've got the fact that you know we've gone from drought to La Nina, so that's changed. So you know what it looks like in terms of the amount of water around. Severn is you know the garden of eden at the moment um it's it's so that's that changes and and the third change is that remember forests uh you know within a larger ecosystem so there's there's private for you know private farms around them so if those farms are doing things differently too, expect the forest and especially the animals to to change their behavior so yeah it's constantly changing which is why you know the best way, I think, to hunt a state forest is always to go down there and go, "Okay, what's happening?" and then adjust to that. Mm-hmm. And it usually might take you a day or two, but to actually go, "Okay, I've been here before. I've I've done. I've been successful mm-hmm. before, but I need to kind of say I'm almost. I'm almost starting again. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do differently? What What's telling? What's What's the forest telling me that I need to be doing?"
2: Yeah, and also from an from an e scouting perspective, if you're trying to find some areas you know, in those forests, when that that satellite photo was taken, you know, on Google Maps or Google Earth, um, to what it is now that they could have come in and cleared that entire paddock um, of trees, so it could change. So you really have to treat it, look at the maps that's provided by DPI, etc. And, um, you know, look at all the exclusion zones and see where you know, where you can hunt where you can't, but you really have to wait till you're on the ground. I couldn't believe that there's that track that we went on in on that first afternoon. And that was huge, big forestry block and it was completely open country. When we drove through, it was completely different. Yeah. It's a different and forest. And it's like
0: when we, when we went down into Severn and we went down to the Southern block, um, there was this band of, uh, uh, you know, like a, a burr mm. that, you know, basically wreck, wrecked, your, wrecked your clothes. But basically that burr band would appeared on no map, but mm. what it did was, we found no animals had moved through it. Nothing was pushing through that. They were just simply going. So there was a whole, like a whole part of the forest that was excluded, not not because of human activity, but this kind of growth. It, so that's what you've got to consider as well. These mm. things are happening that, that might not have any rhyme or reason to them.
1: Good one. New question for state forests. Um, you see some rule changes that have come out recently about uh thermals and the usage of thermals in state forests um do you have any opinions on those changes do we intend to show that on our podcast uh
0: well we, we kind of already have <laughs> <laughs> so um i used a thermal down in nundle in july uh for a scout so i didn't have a rifle with me at the time what i did was it was in the truck I didn't have I wasn't carrying it and uh, I went out pre-dawn and just started looking around and seeing what what I could see um, didn't see it I saw actually saw lots and lots of kangaroos um, didn't see any deer or oh, I saw one rabbit um, but the idea of you know using them as a scouting tool um, is open to you and then uh, so yeah I, I don't really have an, a you know I don't have a negative opinion of them because I, I think they're actually a useful tool mm. I've Hunted with people who hunt with thermals, actively hunt with thermals, and I, and I must admit, I didn't like it as much because I think they kind of almost over rely on them. But from from a scouting point of view, from a you know a, a, a scouting tool like you know like a like a like a new type of optic, I find them to be very very useful. So I you know I'd be keen to see how you would put one to, um, together within a state forest.
2: Mm. I mean, I've I've never used a, a thermal. Pretty keen to give it a try from a scouting perspective just to see what what it can bring, especially in winter down in Nundle. Um, Mm. I think it would be pretty interesting. So, yeah, definitely keen to give it a try and, um, yeah, see, see, see what it looks like.
1: Cool. All right. Next question from John. So the NT trip was a great success from watching all the videos. Where does it now sit on the bucket list for doing it again versus a new adventure? Oh, we are doing, doing it again. Again. we are doing it again. Um, we're going, yeah. Again. Yeah. John. Well, yeah, we're I'm going again, brother,
2: <laughs>
0: John. Yeah, it's yeah. Bucket list. Yeah, it has gone.
2: Yeah. We're doing it again. The bug—the bug, the bug bit pretty quickly for me, quick. um, and the withdrawal symptoms were, were there from the moment I jumped on the airplane flying back to Brisbane. Yeah, um, and I was already thinking about going back. I loved it. It was an awesome trip. Yeah. Um, so for me, it did tick a bucket list item but I've now made that bucket even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to keep filling it up with more Buffalo adventures. So, sure. um, yeah, for me, it was, it was an amazing trip. I absolutely loved it. Um, the experience, the people we went with, the hunting, it
1: was hot, but it was dusty, but it was amazing. It was, yep. yeah, it was awesome. Did I, Most I definitely. I've been, there. I've been there twice. Now, the first time I went up there completely unprepared, I'm pretty sure it was the same time of year, but it was hot. Um, it was hot this time, but I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be quite as <coughs> humid as it was. And, I oh, look, it just kicked my ass and sent me home. It's pretty much the only way to put it. So I was reluctant um, this time around because uh, it was either head up the NT or go on a samba trip, and I kind of really wanted to go samba hunting. But this opportunity mm. proved to be too good to be true, and... Um, I got on board with it, and then I got super excited about it as we started to plan it, and, and I can't speak highly enough of it. It's very different to anything else we've done uh, or I've done, you know, um, compared to hunting deer and goats. Um, the only thing I could liken it to was Pilgrim in the summer, um, but it had a different feeling about it. At one point, Jono and I were, were uh, tracking a bull through this scrub, and I turned around to Jono and said, you think we do you think we should be just aimlessly walking through this thick scrub mm. with a buffalo right there ready to stomp us into the dirt? But it, it, it's. I've, I've, I've often wondered what it would be like hunting in the U.S. where, you know, you're not the only um, apex predator. You know, mm. Something's hunting you at the same time as you're hunting. Well, I kind of got that feeling at points in time. Um, I know as we were walking into that canyon, Mark, you know, one day there was this really steep, rocky canyon we're walking through, and I'm just going... Man, this is the dumbest thing so far. If they decide to come out this canyon, we've got nowhere mm-hmm. to go. We're going to scramble up a, you know, up a rocky cliff. You know the experience that Mark had when he was shooting that big buff. That thing was just bulldozing its way up a two meter, you know, um, you know, cliff, wasn't it? It yeah. didn't care. So these things yeah. can move. Incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Dave. The idea is certainly- um Sorry. Yeah, any comments, Mark? On Head shooting
0: versus oh, shoulder shooting. The buff. Um, well, you know, I said head shot um, did exactly as you'd expect. A running shot on a bigger buff is, did probably much as you'd expect. And um, you
3: know,
0: I only had two rounds in the in the well the rifle at the time because I put one into the the so I was out pretty quick. And I was single loading as I was following it up. And I got within about twenty yards of it. And you know, after that I actually had a pretty good thought of I thought I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, but at the time I was just it was I was I was just doing it. Itchie. So yeah, and that's why that's probably what I what I think most about the N T was when we we're up in that escarpment country and I was just going birds don't even live up here, <laughs> let alone a buffalo. And uh, and that and then when I when I shot that one because I, as I said you know as you guys know I wanted one with the curly horns mm. I wanted a buff with curly horns and I, and I found one and um, so yeah it, it's 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 difficult to like all good hunting trips it's actually difficult to properly put it into context if you weren't there and but um, it also reinforces the fact that we all so much want to go back I yeah. think um, yeah. you know also reinforces how, how how special it was there's certainly samba duck there's lots of things i want to do
2: oh i still want to do victoria um, but, I but
0: i don't want to, i don't want to, i want to add them to <laughs> my bucket rather than re- take one yeah, thing out agrees. and put something you know it's, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm i'm greedy that way i want i want i want more in the bag Not, mm. i don't want to, mm. i don't want to replace anything
1: yeah dave a, a bit more on your question <clears> about head shooting versus shoulder um, the comment that I got from uh, Boyle who was up there with us, was um, head shooting is a uh, risky business um, mm. because those things spend their lives smashing their skulls against each other. Mm. Um, there's a good chance your bullet's not going in. Um, yep. Whereas on the other side, <coughs> shoulder shooting or getting it in behind the behind the shoulder and, and into the lungs and heart, there is a lot of animal there with a lot of adrenaline, and it's going to mm-hmm. keep going. Um, yep. th- they they are. Just tough, super tough. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's a right answer
0: there, mate. It's- in regards to the headshot, um, it was it was because it was actually the I was in a position to take a headshot. So the animal was um, wallowing. Um, it was facing away from me. It didn't know it was there, and it's the back of its head was exposed to me. So I was yeah. able to very easily just aim. So I wasn't shooting it, you know, front on. So I was able to shoot in the back of the head, and like any animal that gets hit with nine point three in the back of the head, it didn't even raise up. It just literally, lit, lit, you know, it just lit, went limp, sunk down more in the water, which is actually a bad thing because when again I think about it, if we had to retrieve it, I'd, we'd be worried about what was in there with it. Yeah. But um, whereas the one that was running, I was I did like I w- was. I did what I would be doing if I was shooting a deer. I was trying to shoot it up, up in the heart lung. That's it. No. It was moving. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't do headshots unless it's, uh, it's, the, it's the optimal shot. Um, and, in fact, when we, on the first day when we came, or the first time we hit Bath and we went up that herd, and that herd bull was looking at us and he was sniffing, you know, doing that typical yeah, yeah, the head uh, kind of ad for the Northern Territory <clears throat> where it's looking at us. It was showing its chest at me and I was wondering if I should drive one into its chest, into the boiler room. But then it turned and it put its kind of shoulder in front of me and I thought, you know what, I probably couldn't smash that comfortably on an animal that big. And not, not you know, and be comfortable that it wouldn't, it wouldn't charge off because it was such a big animal. That was a huge bull. That that was incredible. And, you know, well, let, just kind of add a bit more to, to that
1: shoulder. There. Um, our first, <clears throat> our first experience with the buffalo when we got up there on the second day, was a mob of thirty of them. That's right. Like it was
2: a huge. It was <laughs> one like Yeah. It was. It was.
0: Yeah.
3: Ballpark. Yeah.
0: And thirty um, pairs of Thirty pair, a pair of eyes is very hard to sneak up on. Yeah.
1: Yeah, very right, yeah. Um, hey, uh, Frank's question, besides weight scales, what would you definitely take next trip to the NT? John, oh, you said mm-hmm. something the other day that you would you would take. I don't know if you recall it. No, I don't.
2: An and, no. Yeah, there, um, was something,
1: there was something that was said. Um, anyway, the question still stands, <laughs> if you can think of something. For me, I would probably uh, take less,
0: to yeah, be honest. It's, I, I was going to say, Frank, I'd flip it over
2: and I'd take less.
1: Yeah, same. Yeah. I think we. Would you believe it. it? I had a jacket, I had a thermal shirt, and I had a poly fleece jumper, and you know, I'd heard it got cool overnight there, so I was pretty well loaded up with fuzzy stuff. Yeah. Mm. Take that again.
0: So with our gear, that uh, what we took, Frank, was we took um, camping, you know, gear, camping gear. <laughs> yeah, free, yeah, Frank. Summer. Yeah, yeah, Frank.
1: <laughs> the answer is me. Me. The answer is me. That's what you take next time, says Frank.
0: Oh, I oh, yeah, well, yeah, mate. Sure, if we can get you in a duffel bag, you're you're fine. Um, so yeah, I take less gear. Um, we took like hiking gear. So, um, the one thing I do is uh, I took my smallest tent. Uh, I wouldn't do that again. I take one slightly bigger. um but you know, your sleeping gear. Obviously, a mat. You can't replace that. But I took a sleeping bag. I probably wouldn't take a sleeping bag again. I'd probably just take a, um, next time i just take a bag liner. And if I got cool, i just, you know, basically drag clothes on top of myself. Um, yeah, I'd take less. Um, interesting stuff like up there, there, if you watch the video, there's one, there's a couple of shots of me carrying a saw. The guys in NT, uh, Brian and Matt, they don't carry knives. They They go to Bunnings and they buy Stanley knives or the equivalent of Stanley knives and cheap saws and mm. that's what they use for butchering yeah. um so yeah so that that you know and they basically they'll get two or three buff per saw and Stanley knife and then they're Try useless right. and they just yeah. replace them so yeah so take less um yeah
1: that Stanley knife was used to cut the uh the head skin down to the bone you yeah. didn't get all yeah. that gristle and stuff mm. in the skin. And the stuff. skin
2: is so thick as well. It's ridiculous. Incredible. It, 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 as you yeah. can imagine.
1: Um, mm. But even the skin on the head, you'd think it'd be thinner around the skull than it was on the body. It wasn't. It was pretty thick stuff. Um, so moving into um, clothing, there was another question that came in earlier. Um, how did the boots hold up after witnessing the boily shuffle and the long kilometres over the hardened footprints from the previous wet season? Um, I'll go first on that. Um, The advice that was given to me before we went was to not bring your, your big Samba, you know, high country hunting boots. I run a pair of lower, um, um, Z eights. I think they are. Uh, and they're not a heavy boot. They're a pretty light boot really compared to some of the other lowers. But, um, I decided not to take those and I went to, um, one of the one of the one of the shoe stores, and picked up a pair of um, God, I can't even remember what brand they were now, but they were um, they were basically an all synthetic. What I was looking for was the lightest boot I could find, um, and when I mean boot, I mean ankle hiking style boot mm-hmm. um, that didn't have any waterproofing in it. You didn't need it up there, um, and it just makes your foot sweat. So that's what I was looking for. Uh, would you believe it? You can't find. Um, Those sorts of boots, they were Keens, what I bought. They were Keens. In the end, they were a synthetic pair of Keens, completely synthetic, but they were still a waterproof one. The only downside of those was the only colour they came in was black, black in the heat. Once we were sitting down having lunch and had my feet Mm -hmm. in the sun, got pretty damn warm. But as far as boot, they were awesome. They were light, comfortable on your feet, and I had zero foot problems whatsoever. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I took a a lightweight pair of Merrill, hiking boots, um, they were the waterproof ones, but um, they're obviously very breathable, uh, and I had no issues I, I wouldn't have wanted to wear my leather boots up there, that's for sure, they were they were perfect those um, Merrill hiking boots absolutely perfect
0: Yeah, I, I, I wore I did wear leather hiking boots I took my Zambulance um, um, I had a problem on one of the days with socks that turned into blisters but,
3: you know just
0: kept going. She's fine, um, and uh, yeah, that's it. Just keep going. Uh, for me, buffalo. heel, you are <laughs>
1: hole in your foot. Wow. Well, yeah.
0: so, and uh, so yeah, I, I found the boots didn't. They you know they they, they the boots themselves were okay. Um, yeah, I just one day it was particularly sweaty, and the sock kind of started bunching around my heel, and that was it. And once it started, um, that was it. But I've found that uh, I've actually bought a pair of boots for summer in the nt they are lowers but they are they are a synthetic non-waterproof boot
3: mm-hmm.
0: managed mm-hmm. to find them they, they're, they're not cheap though it's actually something it's very difficult to find that but uh, i'd be keen i'm very keen to try them out next year
1: just rolling on with the uh the gear questions mark um how did the rest of the clothing choices hold up we're in the heat um yeah you know, it's pretty interesting yeah,
2: I mean, for me. Yeah, look,
0: I mean, sorry, okay. go,
2: go, mate. I was going to say I didn't change my clothing that I would use from the that I would use in the peligo. It was the same clothing. Um, it was just, you know, obviously long sleeve for the sun. I wore long pants um, just for sun protection. Um, that was the big thing was probably sun protection and stuff that's breathable, but no different to what I wear in the peligo. Yeah.
1: yeah, I wore the yeah. um, very ultra light pants uh, that Hunter's Element put out that have got the like the, the air mesh back of your knees and you know mm. down your legs you can zip them open those sorts of things um sun smart was the really important part of this getting Different. um getting heat stroke and things like that was just something we were very very careful about we we're watching each other's um you know the, the the way that we were holding ourselves and you know if there were any changes in in that then we were we were pretty well we were hopefully going to be pretty quick to spot dehydration and luckily enough we didn't have that problem um mm. But I think long long sleeves and long pants certainly help with that. Um, And I was trying the um, Ringers Western long shirts. (coughs) They've got a lot of ventilation um, around them. They're a cotton sort of stretch fabric. Um, Not as light as some of the gear that Mark and Jono were wearing, but I found them to be really, really good. Um, The only problem I find with stuff that they put out uh, is um, a lot of the venting is, you know, over your shoulders and, and down your back. And that, of course, gets closed up when you stick a pack on. Um, so um, that that was, it didn't cause a problem. I was comfortable the whole time. I was surprised how comf- com- comfortable I was with long sleeves and long pants on the whole time. Uh, but I wouldn't change that at all.
0: Yeah, I just uh, probably the only I wore a couple of the Columbia fishing shirts, the really the new the technical ones. So they're not they're cotton blend type thing. They're technical, so they got the wicking action in them. They are really good. Um, I also wore a couple of the Beretta shirts. And there's one day you can uh, a Boily said something like, oh, I love the camo pattern because you could just see the salt stains in it, you know, it was just the white lines in it. Yeah, see, so you, you're just going to get hot. So there's not, well, you know, other than not wearing anything, you're just going to, everything's just going to ca- gather sweat. But it's more the fact that you're walking through, you know, country that's got, you know, can be, bit sharp and prickly and and rocky so you want to protect yourself and again you know it's 30 plus every day if not higher you know there was that one afternoon we turned up and it was it was close to 40 and then we started walking in the sun there was no way you were going to avoid a sweat but you didn't want to get burnt because you know you wanted to be in the game the next morning so yeah just long sleeves long long pants and a, and a good i think the good the, the hardest thing to find is a good hat
3: mm.
1: Yeah. Next one on the list is GPSs. I what GPS did you use?
2: I just use my uh, my Garmin watch, which has got the built-in GPS. Um, so I would record the track. I'd mark where we started from, um, and then obviously it would would record the track. I can do a um, a route back from that. Um, obviously, I, if I wanted to do a straight line or do a backtrack, I just use my watch for that um and I yeah re- recorded all the hunt re- tracks um plus I get all the information of the hunt how far we walked all that f- inf- um all that detail was perfect I, that didn't need a handheld um I did have my phone with me but I didn't have any signal um so Google Maps something like that's not going to be uh um of use yeah thanks Optus um and uh yeah I thought the watch was is perfect Mark I think you took your your rhino didn't you
0: yeah, so because I've got the um, the Bino rig
2: with the Rhino pouch, and I just I just kept
0: it. Uh, the rhino's is a great GPS. The thing is, we didn't use them all that often. Mm-hmm. We just used them more of the kind of uh, return home. So when we left, if we especially were going on a big walk, we just you know just basically waypoint it so we knew how where we were going back to. Uh, we weren't following maps and contours. You know, we were literally searching for water. So that drove the direction you know uh, you know the wind and water drove the direction yeah. mm. um so it was only uh, you wouldn't need a overly complicated gps um for the kind of hunting we were doing it was more about a, you know can, where's the can truck? I get you can you get your
2: home Marky, or, yeah, so yeah, where's the your
1: yeah. yeah. how
0: far is it mm. yeah, yeah where's right yeah. how far is it where is the truck because uh, there was once one night we kind of did a quick march back to where we thought we were, you know, where the car was, and we went, oh, hang on, now we've got three Ks. Hmm. So we weren't lost. It was just, we were on a track. We just we came out on the track at a different point. We realised, well, we had, a, we had a long way back. So it wasn't hard navigation, by any means.
1: Yeah. I used my, my Feen- Garmin Phoenix as well. And, again, same as John, I just hit a waypoint so I could find my way back. Um, and I found that that was really good. Um, the, the topography was, yes, there were some some hills, but they were features. Mm. Once you saw the features, you basically mm. navigated off those features. You knew where the car and the camper were in relation to those. That was never a real drama. <coughs> we covered, oh, I don't know, 20 to 30 Ks on foot a day. Um, it was pretty um, hot, like nasty, sort of hot conditions. Um, but, yeah, certainly GPS. I'm not saying don't take one, but... Uh, we, we use the basics of basics. Yeah, of you wouldn't need
2: yeah. a, a really fancy one, just something that you can mark your start point. Um, That's it, yeah. And yeah, then a, you can
1: get back to home. That's all you need.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, backtrack function is mm. what, what you really need, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, favorite pack? I'll let you two answer that because you had the same one, and I would run what you have next time for mm. sure.
2: Yeah, so I've got the yeah. QU, what is it, the Adventure 23, I think, Mark? Is that it? Adventure. Adventure. Yeah. Aven- Adventure Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah i haven't got really, uh, have oh, yeah, it. i haven't got yeah, there yeah. there it is um because i'm actually getting ready for a hunt tomorrow so this is the adventure 2300 qu mm. um i've used that for the first time this year in the raw um and obviously now that in the um in the nt i love that pack it's so comfortable for me um it really fits me well um and it's got um, yeah it's got all the pockets and space and yeah thanks frank frank yes the uh the Barbie, Malibu Barbie, you that's it. <laughs> I've upgraded, mate. I've upgraded. Um, no, I love that pack. I think it's great. Barbie is upset. <laughs> um, I can put everything that I need in there. Carried all the water. I mean, we were carrying quite a water system that we had going. We had large Yetis yeah. with ice. We had a smaller Yeti with um, uh, electrolytes, and then I still had a two-liter bladder in the back. Um, so we had, um, you know, we had a lot of weight in there, and it was super comfortable to do, um, uh, you know, twenty or thirty k's a day. So yeah, Dave agreed completely. Those QEs are great packs, and I think Ian, you said you're yep. going gonna to be upgrading to
1: one as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I've I've tried a couple of different packs. Um, I've never really been happy with my mid, sort of size day pack. Um, for a couple of days, I carried around a 75 liter pack up there, um, under the grand expectations that I was going to have to be carrying large amounts of bone out every day. Uh, I could have left that at cancel the last hour um, <laughs> in hindsight. <laughs> But um, um, you know we 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 discussed carrying a meat hauler style pack out there, and um and that's what I took. But I also took my smaller one. Um, yeah, not overly happy with it, so I'll be I'll be moving on to the kill you.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And the other thing is, um, it was a good carry on bag for the the plane yeah. too. Yeah. So you know it, it it fits into that carry. So for for uh, for the traveling hunter, it was a good size. the 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 reason I got mine originally was that. Whilst it's and if you look at any videos, it's the pack I carry most. I mean, I carried it today for about five hours. The the benefit of that particular brand, I always, I call it Kuiu, I don't know I can't even pronounce it properly, but anyway, um, is that that pack comes in a different frame size, even though the literage stays the same. So if you if you're like me and you need something that's a bit taller you can buy it in the long frame so it fits you so because often you know with with smaller packs it's a smaller frame so you know you end up not being able to use the waist strap or the chest strap and you, you know you're kind of using it just like a school bag that you can actually use it as it is designed if you're over six foot you just buy the bigger the bigger, the bigger, the bigger frame version, mm. and that's what was the big selling point for me. Other than the fact that it's really it's well made, and it's got lots of pockets, and it, and it has it's got lots and lots. It's of got yeah, tons of it. storage, and it's got um, some of the really good pockets are the two um, belt pockets. Mm. So they'll carry one of them. I put the um, the ePerb or the Maselio my locate myself a beacon yeah. in and stuff like that. You can have it there. It works really well. And yeah, but you can set it up so you can actually use it like a proper pack. So when you're when you are carrying red deer out or something like that, or when I had the I, I lashed the buff horns to the back of it and carried it out, no problem.
1: Excellent. Mm-hmm. Next question, back to state forest hunting. Nasir, are there any other productive state forests near Brisbane for deer other than Nundal, Tugalo, Hanging Rock, etcetera, etcetera? Butterleaf certainly has deer. It's uh, partway down the New England. Um, Mm. I know a number of people that have taken deer there or have seen deer there, so check that one out. It's not an easy block to hunt, but, you know, it's closer, so go and Mm. have a look. And I imagine there are other deer. It's it's one of those things. When I first started state forest hunting, everyone told me what parks were crap. Um, And in my experience, you've you've got to go and have a look for yourself just because one person didn't see them, I'll tell you, how many people have told us that there's no goats in Severn? Everybody. So many people have told me that. Um, anyway, um, you shouldn't believe them. Um, and the same goes for some of these other parks. So go and have a look yourself, but um, sure.
0: I've explored a number of those parks. So on the, what well, you might say on the eastern side of the New England Highway, that that area, um, they hold deer. They, you know, they do. I've seen deer in there um, on, on a number of occasions. The benefit of you know, spending a few extra hours of traveling to year you're, you're going to increase your chances of yeah. taking a deer. Um, and, you know, it's just going to be, um, you, you, you will take a deer in Buddleaf um, um, if, if, you know, if if, the, if things work for you, you will. Um but you're much more likely to take a deer in Nundle and you're more likely to see deer and you're more likely to see other things like pigs as well. So whilst you might be saving yourself three hours travel time or not even that really between those, you're saving at least a couple of hours travel time, you're actually increasing your chances greatly. So I'd actually say if you're thinking about it and you're kind of going, is it worth a couple of extra hours? It is. It's worth a couple of extra hours. I 100% and if you follow uh, uh, Ian's approach, which is to go through Walker, you do save an extra hour from Brisbane. It's a good truck. It's, it's a, a good trip much better to. way yeah. in. It's a, it's a much better way in. And so you at, at Urella, you turn towards Walker and then you drive into the top of the forest. So you come into Nundle from the top rather than from the bottom when you come in through Tamworth. Um, it's a much more pleasant drive. Um, you've you'll got much more opportunity to see deer as you're driving mm. in, and Walker's a really nice town. It's a, got two shopping centres and it's got a petrol station and
3: coffee three shops coffee shops and, and, and bakery and stuff yeah.
0: like that. It's a nice place to stop, so mm. you can get your supplies, you can get fuel up, you can get a hamburger, and then and then you've got a what about an hour and a bit drive to Ponderosa.
1: But you feel yeah. like you're in hunting land. That's right. Forty, that's 40 a, that's minutes at a kind of walk, yeah. walk because yeah. you're driving yeah. through thirty yeah. minutes of park. That's right. Out. You go
0: for walkie. I think it's called. Um, is it top something top road? Topdale Dale Road, I think it is. Yeah. So yeah. You yeah. turn there. You go along, and then you see the Nundle Forest Way or the Forest Way. You turn on that. Yeah, for just about you, just uh, before the 10 channel, minutes Tugalo. you're through public land and mm. then bang, you're in the forest and mm. you're in hunting zone all the way through.
2: And if you going to Tugalo, it's that, 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 that's where the road that's is. That's right. The and, is. And,
0: the, and if you wanted to go to Tugalo, it's actually so much quicker to yeah. go that way to Tugalo yeah, that's because it, that's the best way to enter Tugalo through the top. Mm.
1: Mm. Good question. Next question. Uh, Dave, I'll explain with visuals, here's nope. our water system. Ah, <laughs> so. We had a 1.4 something litre bottle of Yeti, right? Oh, a Yeti bottle. Um, so they're an insulated <laughs> bottle, as you know. Um, we stuffed that as tight as we could with ice and um, and then filled up the gaps basically with, with cold water. That's how we started the day. So it was already ice and then icy cold water went into it and that went in the pack. <laughs> this one we stuffed with ice, it's about an 800 mil bottle we stuffed that one with ice as well and then we filled that up with water and electrolyte so we had a a good bottle of electrolytes because you're sweating out all of those minerals and then in our packs we had a three or a four liter bladder depending on what we were running individually so i was carrying six liters of water for every half day that we went out um but ice lasted in that overnight so you'd hunt all day and then overnight every time you took a decent drink out of this one you'd top it back up out of your bladder and then that water would be chilled and that, that would chill your core way better than drinking 30-degree water that was sitting in your bladder on your pack in the sun all day. Now, I know there's been some, some comment. <coughs> some people don't agree. I also have heard that um, drinking chilled water just every day is not as good for you as drinking you know normal room temperature water, but in the conditions that we were in, it just kept our body temperature cores lower and we didn't need to drink as much water. I found that I was never, ever super thirsty, and I was, I was mm. just wasn't gagging for water all the time. What we did find, though, was that we started off with these things with electrolytes with no ice in them, and that just that was gag material. Oh, it I couldn't disgusting. taste did it. But as soon as it was freezing cold, it was much, much easier to drink. Mm. And um, not one of us got dehydrated nope. and drinking all of that, <coughs> excuse me, all of those electrolytes, um, we didn't have any cramping problems or anything like that. So brilliant system.
0: And the thing is, as you're going <laughs> along, you're drinking through the bladder and your you pack. And when you go, okay, you know, you're going to stop. You actually only need to take a couple of sips of that cold water for it to, you know, have an effect. And what I found was that the electrolytes became such more, so more effective because you weren't simply sweating them out. You weren't mm. like hot and, you you know, you, you you sweating them out when you had that cold water first and it seemed to kind of stabilize you then the, you only needed again a, a small amount of the electrolytes to actually get that you know you actually feel like you were drinking them rather than simply sweating them straight back out so it it did have this weird effect where it made you consume a little bit less water because it would seem to be more effective
1: yeah <laughs> I think we've, um, we've dried up the question. Oh,
0: have we? Okay. Yeah. I can't yeah. see in mine, so I'm, I'm just
1: worried. No, no, actually, no, that's we, okay.
2: you missed one there, Brother State Forest. Have you hunted Brother State Forest? Brother?
1: Um, no, it's been on my list to hunt it. There's a bunch <laughs> down there that I really want to go and hunt. I hunted a number of them um, early on, and then I trained an indicating dog. So I actually want to go back with an indicating dog because I think I'll – I mean, I know I have more success with her. Um it, it, by all reports and, and its location and proximity to deer, it should have deer going through it. Um, I suspect it's a fairly scrubby block that doesn't have a lot of decent pick on the ground, um, similar to, um, oh, I forget some of the other ones' names, but a lot of that country around there is quite, quite scrubby. So, you know, deer might pass through it on their way to farmland, things like that. Um, but worth a look. It, on paper, it looks great.
0: Don't know myself, so yeah, worth having a look.
2: Right. Oh, so Dave's just Uh, put a question around the electrolytes. Um, Did you charge up on electrolytes at night before bed or just beer?
0: Rum.
1: (laughs) Oh, We ran the beer down, didn't we? Yeah, we we just drank rum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, mate, we didn't. No. Um, Once we got back into camp, it was pretty relaxed and jovial, and as you can expect with six fellas around a campfire in the NT.
2: But um, I think that's because we had oh, such
1: a good system during the day that we didn't yeah. didn't have to yeah. charge up at
2: night. If we didn't run that system during the day, we would have tried to be catching up at night and certainly wouldn't have drunk as much beer yeah. because that's going to dehydrate you more. So certainly didn't wake up ever with a headache or um, feeling mm-hmm. stiff or sore or anything like that. We were up and ready to go. Yeah. And the, yeah, no. of the electrolyte was it, Jonah? Uh, It was just Hydrolyte Sport is what we used. So yeah. um, we bought a big... Like one kilo tub and that saw us the three of us through the week we even had a little bit left over so um it didn't we i think we had the lemon lime flavor uh when it was warm it wasn't the tastiest but with, with a bit of ice in there um it was actually pretty good and it worked i actually bought some yeah. today for much of tomorrow so
0: yeah and i mean i hunted every day didn't so that you know didn't have a problem at all i mean obviously when you came back at night you're weary um but no, not a problem at all, just, you know, so we did a lot of Ks in, in pretty tough conditions. So, you know, we're on our feet for, on, on average, like eight hours a day. Yeah. And uh, what the what we found with, like, observing the yeah. NT guys is that they hunt more in the afternoon. Yeah, they, so they're in the morning, they kind of go. Yeah. In the morning, they go kind of exploring and they have a look around, have a think. It's in the afternoon, they get serious. And mm. they go looking mm. for water in the afternoon.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there was and a couple of mornings they skipped. Right,
0: you know, they will hunt into dark. You know, mm. so it wasn't like they'll go because you know that that last ninety minutes light is when it's going to happen more than likely. You know, and that's I think all of us took buff in that 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 period of time. Yep. And so you know you want to be you want to be pretty good. You want to be ready for that part of the day. So you don't want to be kind of um oh, I'm I'm at, you know I'm I'm winding down now. You actually want to be right. And then when we get back to camp. You know, we'd have a few drinks and have something to eat and then bed and back at it again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Frank, to answer your question about how we kept ice for a week in an isolated area. It was hard. We had two camps, two camps on uh, – basically two camps. with one overnight, but um, halfway through the trip, we moved camp to a different area. At that point, um, a couple of us went back into town to about a three-hour round trip by the time we got back, but essentially we had – uh, four or five eskies stuffed full with block ice and um, it lasted for three or four days um, the first round and then we sort of just had enough once we filled up for the next one. But Yeah, that, so was, we that was had the to big keep challenge. The, keep the ice separate. Um, don't put your drinks in with your stored ice. Um, you know, we take one bag out, um, you know, have it ready for, um, you know, it might go into the drinks the drinks esky and then we'd fish ice out of there for our, for our yetis. Yep. And we had a couple of situations where meat came back into camp, and meat got dumped in with the ice, and then all of a sudden your your water was tainted. Your water was was stuffed, and you you had to dump all of that out pretty much because <laughs> you couldn't use it for your yetis. Um, so a couple of little learnings there, but um, yeah, uh, it it was difficult, but we managed. Mm. Yeah. Certainly, good eskies needed out there. Um, I mean, mm. the
2: the heat was it, it was you know it was hot, and to keep no. that ice fresh and, and cold. You really need some good eskies and lots of them. So your little cheaper, cheap ones from down at, um, from Kmart or something not going to work. You need, you know, a decent brand that's got some good insulation on it. Um, certainly we had a mix of them and they all worked well, but it's a struggle in that heat. No matter what you take, it's a struggle.
0: Especially in the hill camp there, because there was no real shade. Mm. Um, it wasn't as bad when we were on the Goose Lagoon because, you know, every, there was proper shade there. But when in, in the, the, the first camp the hill camp you know there there was a little bit of shade but there wasn't really any area that you could keep them cool throughout the day so that was also a, a problem and you know we had, we set tarps up to try and keep them cool but didn't really work so that was the that was no doubt the biggest struggle was keeping the ice up
1: mm, definitely well yeah. okay i think at. um an hour and 40 minutes, that's probably a pretty good session. Um, I don't think we'll go and ramble on too much about other things that we might have talked about. I think that's been a really good place to put it. Um, Frank, Dave, Big Dave, Big Dave FPV, we know who you are. Uh, Frank, I think I might have said Frank, Nasir and Jono, I dropped my email address or our email address in there, send us your details. Um, I'm going to send a gift pack out to you for participating. It's been great. Um, to have you there, and you've asked a whole bunch of questions, and really made this um, live podcast what we hoped it would be. So, mm. really appreciate your um, your inputs, and uh, hopefully, we'll run another one sometime in uh, in the future. And um, if you like the format, I think that's something that's worth doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just put some comments on and um, on the page,
2: and let us know if there's anything else you want us to talk about, and we can include them in the next one.
1: Will do. Thanks, yeah, guys. Awesome. A Thanks. Cool. We'll see you again. Cool. Good night, see guys. See you guys. See you guys.